This is the Heavy Hole Podcast, and I am your host, Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck, a.k.a. Wi-Fi Will, but we'll get into that in a minute after I introduce my loyal co-host, Ian Conies. Welcome back, Ian. Oh, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, of course, man. I had to get some... I, I, I gave you guys frick, uh, Labor Day off. We're about <laughs> to close in on Halloween, and everybody... Justin's fishing. Tom's still... No, Tom's Tom's holding me down. I can't front, because he's my editor every week. But you guys are wilding out there. Sam Sharrick joined another five bands on drums and bass. Shout out to everybody. No, I'm just joking. Welcome back. You were just... I know school just started for all the parents listening, or the kids listening. School just started... I know you've been busy with all that, man. We were just talking about how sick it is being a parent. Oh, so, so fucking ill. Yeah. No, I feel it in my bones right now. I feel all the, the sickness that they bring in. It's like delivering a blanket with smallpox to, to my home every day is what it feels like. You sound like a parent right now. You just you sound like you've been through it, man. I, I had a client at work the other day. Like I jumped on a call. It was last week. And they were like, are you okay? I thought I was like coming on real chipper. And then they were just like, you sound like shit. And I was like, oh, great. Good to know. Yeah, that's my experience too, man. Anytime I try to sound happy or like polite with people, like people are just like, wow, that guy's fucked, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. When I was going to get, I'm actually angry. I wonder what it's like. No, I'm very happy today. I'm happy to have you aboard. You brought a great recommendation. Um, I tried to compliment it. I felt like with my recommendation. I think uh, you did. A little bit to discuss later. Um, but Ian, I, I know you're struggling. I see you there. You have a 40 ounce bottle of chamomile tea, uh, just trying to get through to tonight's show. We, we appreciate you bearing with us. Have, I gotta, I gotta ask one. There's something I always do ask you though, before this, uh, latest, uh, uh, illness, um, have, have you been to any shows lately? Did you have the time? Stop. I'm actually like people in the world have real problems, but I think the last 60 days or so, two months, three months, maybe I've just been looking at show come and go and being like, shit, I missed that one. I missed that one. I missed that one. I have tickets for, and I think I'm just going by my damn self. So if somebody wants a ticket and lives in New York, I have an extra one. I will literally give this ticket away at this point to, uh, to, uh, spirit possession and bell, Witch. I've never seen bell, Witch in concert, but, um, and I know that that one's probably going to just be like a stoner fest, like feeling it in your knees. Cause you're just going to be standing there for like three hours as they, as they do what they do. But, um, that's going to be in New York city. So I'm going to that one, our buddy, Ray, me and me and Tom's and Justin's buddy, Ray actually is not available. So, um, I might just be trucking it alone. Um, but other than that, there was one other show, uh, that I'm going to miss cause I didn't get on it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. What's the date on that? want to say it's the 27th it's the tail end of october it's a friday i think um and i want to say it's the 27th i'm literally going to be at the meat locker with reeking aura spooky fest new jersey, jersey. oh that's all that's okay well i'm fucking up even more because i should probably go do that one instead so if uh, you're listening to this go go do go do will show don't fuck around it's a big world if you're actively avoiding will and you want a safe <laughs> uh safe companion for the evening if you want a safe married uh, uh, husband and father um, who's who's willing to escort you in and out of a, a heavy metal concert so you can actively avoid reeking or at Spooky Fest, New Jersey, get in touch with Ian. Um, uh, I can vouch, yeah, that's, I can vouch that, for Ian as a safe man. Yeah, that's, that's how I like to um, market myself. But um, 
the other one that's pissed me off, man, is, uh, and I actually really like the interview you guys did with him. Um, the dude from uh, Unergain from Extremely Rotten Productions, like that band, they're doing, uh, they're doing like three dates here. They might be doing more while they're in the U.S., but this month they're going to be in like Baltimore, then New York, then Philly. And like, I think those tickets went really fast. And I wish I picked up tickets to the New York show. Um, but I didn't, and I think it's sold out. It might be sold out all three of those shows now. I don't know who else is on that bill, but I've never seen them live before, and I really, really wish that I got on that quicker. I got it. Yeah, great of them to come over and, and just play an exclusive tour on the Great American Fentanyl Belt. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> New York included. New York included. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Inclusive there. Every talking about all of us over here on these Coast. Um, jeez. Well. <laughs> this this turned out to be quite an intro, bro. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh no, good vibes, good vibes, man. Uh, you know what, man? We both might have to skip town after this. I got a little place we might be able to hide out across seas. We're going to talk to Gerald Chow uh, of Gendo Ikari and other illustrious projects over uh, in in the great land of Scotland right now. Let's follow that. Check, 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 check. Okay, I got rid of the, the metronome click track, and we are recording, but I, I think that might be a good place to start. I did All right. I did invite Chris from Party Cannon on because I, I cracked a few jokes at Party Cannon's expense, and we and we um uh and we brought him on and he and my he and I squashed the beef. Good guy, man. So that would make you, Gerald Chow, the second guest uh from the Great Land of Scotland on on the Heavy Hole podcast. Welcome, Gerald Chow. Hey, bro. Thanks very much. I'm excited to be here. Of course, man. Yeah, we just, I, I thought that was a good place to start, man. We, we were talking behind the scenes because I was, um, in, uh, my ineptitude at uh, handling Reaper was showing itself. I had to fix something, but Tom would be proud of me. I handled it. I'm here with Gerald Chow of Gendo Akiri, um, also Ash Inspire, Har, and a few other projects that we're going to talk about along the way. Um, right now, the most recent album by Gendo Akiri would be uh, this. This is the one I forgot to ask you how to pronounce. Roku Bungie. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's, it's, it's Ikari, by the way. Sorry, I should have corrected you earlier. G Gendo, uh, Gendo Akari. Okay, Ikari. I. All right. As we as we go along, I'm going to try my best. But but the listen, the, as Gerald, you've told. Uh, thank you for your listenership. You told me before we were recording. You know that I'm an asshole with pronunciation, so I'm going to do my best. <laughs> but. Good. Um, before we even get to that, you know where we're going with this. Are you from a musical family, or was there anyone in your upbringing that steered you towards hard rock, heavy metal music, or playing an instrument? Yeah, so my family's not really like a musical family. Uh, for context, uh, my family, my parents are from Hong Kong, but they moved to the UK in the mid-70s uh, when Hong Kong was a British colony, so we had a British national overseas. So if we could just move to UK, there's no visa issues. It's just this come here. I think the long story short is like my family were like living in the rice paddy fields, the outskirts of Hong Kong. They didn't really go to school and get an education. So uh they can move to UK and just make a living, make more money. That was literally it. So like my brothers and I are like the second generation of like Chinese, British-born Chinese people kind of living it. 
and like you know in Chinese culture especially where my family were at it's like it's all about making money uh, making a living staying healthy and like having a family and stuff like that so music's not really on the cards uh, however my older brother he's uh, uh, Colin he's in his he's 14 years older than me uh, we've all all of us recording kids, in progress so, sorry about that sorry about that uh, please continue yeah so um uh he's a bit older than me and all of us have worked in the i don't know what you have the equivalent in the u.s like takeaways like chinese takeaways or carryouts uh you know where you get delivery or you order food takeaway does that he, make sense that's that's actually very big in um i know in new york uh where yeah. i'm from and along the east coast and in other other parts of the united states yeah like, do you call it takeaways there? I don't know what you call them there. We just say a Chinese food restaurant. Um, take take takeaway would be a yeah. You people people would know what you're getting at. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, a lot of people who grew up in the UK, like as like Chinese uh, descendants from Hong Kong, have a similar background. And all of us have worked in the takeaway. Like all of us have. It's a. Uh, so when I was young, I used to work the counter or help my brother do deliveries. So he would drive the car. I was in the car with him. I would go from the car to the door, hand the food over, get paid. Well, my brother would do a U-turn, and then we get back in the car and drive back to the takeaway. And uh, a lot of that time, all I remember is uh, listening to loads of like classic rock, Britpop, and stuff like that. So, um, like and grunge, like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Oasis, Radiohead, uh, a lot of stuff like that. Um, Led Zeppelin, The Who, just just whatever he grew up with, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. So that was kind of like, this was like years, like every evening, weekend, just in the car, just listening to that while like smelling of like Chinese food, you know, takeaway food all the time. And I think when I was like uh, 10, well, maybe not maybe not as old as that, but my older brother also played guitar. And uh, I've got these two brothers, one similar age to me, and me and him wanted to get into guitar. So uh, we ended up playing acoustic guitars and then kind of from there, was kind of like getting to like, oh, I can play these songs really badly. But like, as I had kind of hit my teenager phase, uh, I thought it'd be kind of funny to go faster, if that makes sense. Like, what if you could play this stuff really fast? And then I kind of crawled towards like, you know, like 80s metal, like Van Halen and stuff like that, like shredding basically. Not quite heavy stuff, but uh, a lot of like, how fast can you solo? I was kind of really into it, man. I was just like, listen to this, listen to all these shredder guys realizing not realizing how silly it is it's just like man look how fast those guys are playing and then uh yeah from there it was kind of like you go down the slippery slope of like guitar music into like oh what's contextual guitar music oh there's like heavy metal and stuff like that and then next thing you know you find yourself going further and further into like you know progressive metal and then eventually at some point uh death metal came along their way i think i distinctively remember the key points when like music music uh taste changed in particular so let before we get too far ahead um your your parents being from a more old school background what do they think of the type of music that i mean first of all just just the kind of classic rock and the things that your brother was listening to was probably maybe a little bit of a culture shock or something to them let alone death metal and metal and extreme music is there is there like a is there a generation gap there i mean my mom just says she doesn't listen to any of it. And that's fine. It's like, <laughs> a, it's just a thing. She goes, that's your fun thing. And that's it. Uh, as long as I'm not like, uh, you know, wasting myself in it, that's fine. So yeah, she doesn't, she knows she likes, she knows 
she knows that I like doing it, and that's all that really matters. And it's okay. Uh, my other brother, Cole, he's he's like this is pure noise. My, but my closer brother, he's a he's been through some of my shows, and he's also just like I don't understand what's happening, but it sounds cool or like <laughs> I'm having fun or it's really noisy. So uh, yeah, and that's what like. They don't mind me doing it. That's all that matters, I guess. It's not like they actively hate me doing it. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, man. Um, and growing up in Scotland, um, you know, I admittedly don't know very much uh, about Scotland and and what it would be like getting into extreme music there or any kind of subculture type of thing there. What like could you just take me through your personal journey, like where you lived in particular? Was it easy to access live music? Were there um, ba bigger bands coming and touring and hitting Scotland, like your Cannibal Corpses and Deicides and those type of bands? Was there a big venue for that? And um, did, did you kind of have access to the subculture, or was it something that you felt maybe you had to travel a little bit to get to? So I grew up in the northeast of Glasgow. Uh, Glasgow's the biggest city in Scotland, and uh, I live in a suburb called Lindsay. Uh, and it's about a 15-minute train into town. And once you're in Glasgow, if any bands do a tour and come up as far up as Scotland, they will come to most likely Glasgow or Edinburgh, which is like the east side of Scotland. Um, but I was quite lucky, so it was really easy to get to town. Like most bands, if they're big enough, would tour, they would come to Scotland. Like, and when I was young, I wasn't really into extreme music, so I just saw like big heavy metal bands and like kind of like more metalcore stuff. Like I remember seeing a, uh, what was the first big heavy band I saw? I remember being like 14 years old and seeing Dragon Force with some friends. <laughs> that was just like, just like a bunch of 14 year olds at his big gig and seeing this like ridiculous shred, you know, power metal band. And uh, at the time it was just like, I'm actually seeing these guys, that's pretty cool. Uh, and then slowly kind of seeing more heavier stuff. I remember seeing like Lamb of God and stuff like that. Um, but it's only when I was about, I never really touched death metal that much when I was like, before 16 it was just like this big scary thing and like i find a lot of death metal at the time even now like it's it's really abstract when you think about it right it's like pure aggression i didn't really come from a punk background so like i didn't understand the punk aspect so like when you hear like blast bass and like kind of d beat stuff i'm like what the fuck is this man right like these riffs are atonal and like there's no sense of rhythm but i found actually seeing it live it made way more sense things a lot more like human and more there's more push and pull when you watch a band play it. You don't get that so much when you see it on the big stage. And I was mainly going to see like much more popular bands, but uh, it, it, it it took some time for me to get into. I distinctly remember the first brutal death metal band was, uh, I think I was like 15 or something. And this guy was like, hey, check this out. And he gave me Suffocation, uh, is it Human Waste, the EP? Yeah. Uh, is that the first one? Man, that, that yeah. blew my brain. But like, I did like it, but I was like, this is kind of catchy, but this is insane. This is like, what's the first song called off that? It's the kind of da na da na. It's kind of like the that that dun, first track dun, off that EP, man. It's just um, like... well, now you're pulling my Long Island card, man. Hold on a second. I got it. <laughs> I got, um, I, I I have it right behind me. Hold on. Is it infecting the Crips? Yeah, you're right. And I just. You're right, and Gerald, I just need you to verify for the listeners that I just yeah, pulled. that's it, man. That's, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pulled out yeah. my copy of it. Yeah, just a fact check. Yeah, man. Um, 
Yeah, man. It's funny because I've said this isn't even the first time I've said it, but um, I, you know, we we interview people from all over the world and all over the United States, and so many stories begin with suffocation. Very proud. Uh, I can't take any credit for that. Just very proud to to be from the same corrupted water system as suffocation out here on Long Island. It's specifically that intro, like the the first song, is like oh, it's kind of cool, and then goes into the blast beats, and it was just like. My mind at the time could not comprehend it. And like now we're listening, I'm like, oh, this is cool and groovy. And this is really like catchy stuff. But like, you know, 50 year old me was like, what the fuck is this? And uh, it took a lot of time to kind of understand what I was listening to. And I think for me, um, I remember buying a, the turning point for he like heavier stuff was um, all the shred stuff was kind of cool, but like, well, I thought it was cool. Uh, it, you need to practice to do that stuff. You need to sit down and just practice, practice, practice and shred and do the exercises. And like, I wasn't that disciplined. I was just like, man, this is, this is just like, this is like, it's like training for sports, you know, getting the metronome up, doing your exercises, playing to that click. And uh, in a way it's very unmusical. So you, you're kind of sitting by yourself woodshedding. And uh, I just didn't have a discipline. And I quite like prog. Like I was really into dream theater. And, uh, but then I got, I think I read up uh, Opeth Blackwater Park. And I was just like, oh, this is a... I remember playing in the car with my brother, and he was like, what the fuck is this? And then it cuts to the clean bits. He's like, oh, it's kind of like it's kind of like prog. And then it cuts back to the heavy bits. He's like, no, this is shit. So, but for me, I was like, oh, this kind of touches into like um, really musical concepts, kind of heavier textures and stuff. And it's never too brutal, but like this kind of like growling was a big part. I was like, oh, this is actually quite nice. The nice contrast. Uh, and then Opeth was a big part of like, kind of getting like kind of an entry point to get into much heavier music and and i saw them a few times because they were i remember they played with uh, arch enemy in glasgow years ago and uh, arch enemy was like okay this is kind of like heavy metal kind of kind of heavy but watching opf's like oh this is like quite a dynamic band and what seeing them kind of play with like dynamics was really cool and i don't listen to them much nowadays but they definitely were like a important band for me listening Fair enough. That makes sense. Um, and let me ask you this. Uh, at what age, and could you describe your first experience with what we would call an underground show, whether it be at a bar, a youth center, a local small club, just something with the smaller underground bands, whatever your, your idea of underground would be? Like, when, when, when does your first dip into the less commercial aspect of live music? Oh, man, that's a hard one, actually. I think the other band that turned me on to, like, the idea of, like, looking at kind of smaller like hardcore or kind of like bands like that even though they're fucking huge like, i remember seeing the dillinger escape plan in 20 oh shit maybe 2015 2014 no i can't be right no 2004 2005 sorry uh i need to double check that but they, they played with between the buried and me i was really into between the buried and me and i so I came and saw them with some friends because I really wanted to see them. But I was like, I'll see what Dillinger Escape Plan is all about. I was standing right in the front. It's quite a small venue. And the, the main guy, Greg, came out and like literally launched himself in the crowd. Took, the, took down my friend who was next to me. And I was just like, shit, man, this is intense. And, then, <laughs> and from that point, I was like, oh, actually, all this like, crazy music is like kind of fun and like it's really youthful and energetic. And I, I didn't get that much from like the metal stuff. A lot of the metal stuff on record can sound like really precise and cold sounding, especially if you did a go, go down the more mainstream kind of polish path. But like after that, I was like, oh, actually, this is pretty cool, man. Uh, I can't remember distinctively like seeing more underground stuff. At that point, I started seeing a more like 
a lot of friends were playing in bands and I met a lot of people. Uh, there's a local band. Well, actually, are you familiar with the band Frontier? Kind of like the mathcore band. Yes, I am. Yeah. So most of those guys, except the vocalist, are from Scotland. And uh, they used to play in a band called Section, kind of like a mathcore band. And uh, so I grew up seeing them. They're like the same age as me. Uh, we're still friends to this day. And uh, and through them, I got in touch with like, more local scenes and stuff like that. Uh, kind of like more on the hardcore side. And that was my entry point. Like, oh, kind of moving away from like pure metal stuff and more into like local bands, more kind of more like uh, punk to punk aspect of things. Uh, and that, that was a big turning point for me as well. I'm trying to think of like touring bands, touring underground bands, but I'd have to go back all through like all the gigs I've been to. It was mainly yeah. my like twenties, like eighteen onwards when I was like, oh, I'm just going to see random bands, and yeah, it was pretty cool. Well, you painted enough of, of a picture with that um, <clears throat> Dillinger Escape Plan experience, and and shout to Frontier, good band. I'm glad to see them getting um more of a more of a push more promotion more of a following the last few years they're they're putting in the work we were supposed to interview a member of that band admittedly uh i think over a year a while back and there was some sort of booking snafu or something man so maybe we got to circle back with those guys um but shout to them uh so now what at what age do you pick up a, a guitar uh or or is the guitar what's your first instrument um my brother used to have a Yamaha Pacifica, like a Strat copy. It's the, you know, it's a good entry level guitar. And uh, I think it was like eight or something like that, maybe eight or nine. I definitely played it in primary school, which uh, which is like, I, I guess it's, I don't know what you call it in America, the first school you go to after nursery or kindergarten. But like, you go there from between like five to 11. And I was playing guitar in like the late years and uh, Mainly learning a lot of Red Hill Chili Peppers, Travis, Oasis, stuff like that. Because it's like not too hard and it's kind of like, cool, this is kind of fun. I got all these tab books and just running through them. I was like kind of playing it mechanically, but like I play literally what's written, but not really understand how it fits in a song that makes sense. It's like you're just playing a part, but it makes no sense without any context. And uh, <laughs> but I'd be like, cool, I can do it. And then uh, I think when I was, uh, ooh, what was I? Maybe like 14 or 13, I, this is the days when I like, you know, like LimeWire and Napster were like really kicking about. And I never really, I don't know how you got in heavy metal. Like, did you get into it yourself? Or did you have like friends or community? Like, did you go to shows? I always find this interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it was mainly um friends. I always talk about um Adam Rotella, who's known for the Noise Project, Anal Birth, uh, still a friend of mine to this day. He's a few years older than me. And he had um, two younger brothers and some cousins, and everybody would hang out at his house, which, which was in my neighborhood. And I just ended up around him, and he was already collecting underground death metal at that point. Um, and then there were other people along the way who made, you know, I, you know, I'm 41 years old, so people were making cassette tapes in the 90s and stuff like that. And you know, there was just a small clique of people. They not everyone was necessarily into the same thing, but were, you know, in my town at that age. There was the guy that was into some goth music and black metal, and then there was the people that were more into hardcore, and then I was just kind of into death metal and a little everything else, and everyone, you know, you would conglomerate together, you know, it was, you know, there was some underground shows in the town, there was there was a healthy hardcore scene in the early 90s in my area that had a lot of show. they would have shows in a church basement, the old first church in Huntington, and they would rent out VFW halls, which I, I don't, in... 
they probably have an equivalent in Scotland. It's basically like a like a beer hall or a meeting place for veterans um, that, that that they establish. Sometimes it's for a social group like the 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 there's maybe by way of different ethnicities there's an italian hall or a polish hall and it's basically a big meeting hall with a bar that they'll rent out for sweet 16 parties wedding parties things like that but people started renting them out and having bands play there and that was and the big thing was that now you've cut out the venues and the promoters and everyone else and it's just between the bands and the kids that was a big push in the 90s and i caught the tail end of that so i was very fortunate to see a lot of underground shows in my town where it was all ages there was no alcohol involved, so you know the, everyone, all the high school kids could get in. Some of them you could get in with a can of food as a donation for their food drive. You didn't even need money, so you just get a can of gravy out of the out of the pantry, out of your mom's pantry, and go to the show. You know, I remember doing that a few times. So that was my experience. I grew up in a, in a town and in a time where it was pretty much readily available available for me if I wanted it. Looking back, yeah, that's interesting. I think for me, uh, music is quite like a almost like a solo pursuit in a way uh mm. when i was growing up a lot of kids were into like indie music and like pop and uh some rock and i never really hung out with like metal kids like i never dressed as a goth like i i think so i'm 32 and when i was growing up new metal was the big thing and i never really hung out with any new metal kids like i skipped the new metal thing so i have like zero nostalgia for bands like you know slipknot and a like system of down like i listen and go like hi right, this is like music of the time but i don't have any emotional connection it's really goofy and like silly but there's nothing like oh yeah listen to, i used to listen to that back in the day there's none of that for me so i find that quite interesting because uh i think there's a new metal revival happening right now because you know i think the equivalent of dad rock nowadays is what people were listening back in the <laughs> 2000s so it's like lincoln park and like you know limp biscuit and stuff but you know there's nothing for me there but um so for me uh and that's why I never really touched underground stuff because it was mainly like, oh, I want to see these big bands that I'm reading about on like mag magazines or like you know Kerrang or whatever. And like my friends at the time, I used to play in the indie band, just playing bass, uh, because it was fun. And like that's what I felt like I got most of my chops. Always like, because being a band is being a band is a bit weird, man. When you think about it, it's like you're in a relationship with uh, people of a uh, different. In that levels of investment right some people are like totally committed some people are not and it's like kind of like are you in it for what reason are you into the band for right for is it for money because you're, you're kind of fucked right or are you in it for shows are you in it for creative and it's it's kind of a bit mad so yeah i mainly stuck to like more mainstream stuff and uh and when i moved out of uh, my mom's house it was when i i kind of had to feel to what i wanted to then i met people from like scenes and stuff and started uh when i it's basically when i joined a band a metal band is when i really got to grips with like oh okay this is what it's like and hanging out and meeting people who do the same thing uh which was totally not why i had when i was growing up like it was more i kept a very clean like it was mainly indie and stuff but deep down i was just like i would like to do some heavy shit uh and i think when i was 14 i remember listening to megadeth that was a like a lot of people fucking love metallica and uh, I got Master of the Puppets, but like, I don't know what was with me, but those songs are long as fuck. Like, they're like six minutes plus per song. My attention span was like wavering, you know, this build up is like two minutes straight. It's like, I can't handle it. Uh, whereas Megadeth at least is like three to four minutes. And I think I got Rust in Peace because that was the, the what everyone said. That's the, the golden era, Megadeth. And uh, I was like, this is pretty cool. 
And I think when I tried to learn, I think Hangar 18, I was like, whoa, this solo is total whack. Like this, I actually try to learn how to play it. Like it's some weird things he's doing. And then, uh, as you know, like if you're into bands, you usually dig into who the people are behind the music. And then I dug into Marty Friedman. And I was like, oh, his playing is like totally insane. He's actually, he's just not a regular, sorry. He's, he plays in a very specific way and it's very interesting. And so I find, that's how I usually find bands nowadays. I find like, who's the main songwriter? Like who's playing what? I go, what are they in? What are they bring to the table? And I conveniently fell into the Megadeth, Marty Friedman hole. And I was like, oh, this is really sick. And then that's kind of pushed me into like thinking like, oh, I can make stuff like that. And then as time went on, it kind of went like, that. he's a big influence to me. Maybe not nowadays, but back when I was younger, I was like, oh, I just want to play like him and listen, like do stuff like him. Uh, even though his music can be a bit like a bit corny at times. Uh, respect for the guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've I've said several times, I think, on the podcast, with all due respect to the, um, you know, the iconic, uh, you know, music legends that are Metallica, <laughs> they're doing quite well without me. Um, uh, you know, I don't really go much past their first three albums, maybe fourth album, and I've always been more of a Megadeth guy. Uh, I've heard you talk about Megadeth a little bit. Do you, do you feel like, because I, I have a theory, people who are more on the Megadeth side of things, I think usually are a little bit more, sometimes are a little bit more on the technical side of music, on the more experimental or progressive side of music, whereas the Megadeth guys, shout out to my drummer Hudson uh, from Reeking Aura, uh, the Metallica guys are a little bit more straightforward and old-fashioned and old with their metal. I don't know, man. It, that's just a theory I have, man. Then there's people who like both bands. Uh, I don't want to pigeonhole people, but I can sort of see it, right? Like, yeah. Metallica songs are like, they are well-crafted songs. You know, they've got like, you know, good structure or, or like straightforward structure. The riffs are usually catchy, you know. Uh, there's nothing super complicated in their playing. It's tight or at least edited to be tight and it sounds great. So we're like a lot of negative stuff, at least... I don't really listen to nowadays, but the 90s stuff was like total whack. It's like a lot of it was a uh, like mad song structures, like nonstop solos. Like I think Dave Mustaine can solo really well when he wants to, but like sometimes you're like, man, that was just a crazy chromatic run. That's like, <laughs> totally silly. And I, I look back and like um, stuff like Slayer, you know, Kerry King and all that stuff. I used to think his solos are total shit, but now I look at it and go, actually, they're pretty cool, man. They're kind of like, they're kind of silly nonsense. Like, you no. Know, noise rock in times but uh now it, like i think as a if you just take music for any context and just listen to it you're like oh this is like totally insane but when you watch your live like ah oh, there's like loads of energy and he's literally just like doing like a force of noise like that's really full of like you know like a lot of rush and it comes off live way better up on record you're just like but this is what are you doing man <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll just yeah. say this i'll just say this because you're 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 from the perspective of a guitarist i don't know how to play guitar at all i'm i'm a lifelong metal fan never underestimate the power of dive bombs and pinch harmonics on uh uh, uh non-guitar playing metal fans if it sounds cool you like you really don't have to break re reinvent <laughs> the wheel just make it sound like like a scene from rambo and you're good man you know it's it's uh it, it it's like um I I don't want to start getting into it because now I'll start sounding ignorant. But from a metal fan's perspective, man, sometimes less is more. I hmm, I find this interesting because like when you think about a lot of metal, 
a lot of metal when you strip it back is quite simple. Like you've got drums, usually two guitars, bass and vocals. But like due to the sheer volume and like the sound, like you know, guitars, distorted guitars, like I guess on paper it sounds like ass, right? It's like pure distorted fizz and the bass is rumbling and the drums are just doing like super fast and super loud. Uh and the vocals are like, you know, however you want to do, like screaming, shouting, growling. But if you strip back to the elements, it's actually quite simple in a way. And like a lot of people, I think, are just, it's almost like they're stunned into this, uh, they can't comprehend what's going on. So they're like in awe of watching this band live. Uh, and like, I, I, but like if you've played in bands, like, I don't know, when you watch bands, you can kind of see what everyone's doing, right? And go like, oh, this part, that guy's doing that. This part, that person's doing that. The drummer's doing that. And then it kind of makes sense. It becomes like a case of like, this is cohesive. This is like on a kind of musical sense. But I, th- I feel with a lot of people, and I'm not trying to be like, you know, uh, I'm better than people or anything like that, but it's like, you can sometimes watch bands and there's no almost like no mystery behind it, if that makes sense. Like you can watch a band and be like, I can kind of break this down mentally and go, ah, oh, this now makes sense. Or when you do watch a band that's just pure like total whack, well, not whack in a bad way. I mean, like, you can't understand what's happening. I find that quite interesting if there's like extra instruments, layers, or like they're doing a crazy rhythm that makes no sense, but somehow everyone's grooving to it. That's when I go like, oh, that's really cool, man. Uh, uh, and I find that really interesting. Yeah, like if it's almost like people are like almost willing, it's like they suspend their disbelief and they go like, I'm seeing a band and I don't understand and it's loud as hell and this is cool. But like part of me is always like, what are they actually doing? Like what's what's the... What's the melody here? What's the riff? And uh, I find it quite interesting. Um, yeah, sorry, I don't know if that was a bit of a tangent there. No, no, no. It's <clears throat> you brought up a few times in the conversation. I'll just say the idea of the difference between watching music live and experiencing it live as opposed to the recording. And I'm I'm going to say maybe implying that that sometimes it could catch you in a different way live. Sometimes it's more exciting live metal. Like you're right though because. A lot of this stuff, especially the more technical stuff, the more crazy stuff, uh, you know, we've been listening to this for years. We could put on an album and try to understand what's going on. But for some people, especially if you're newer to it, if you see if you see four guys, three guys, whoever performing their instruments live and they're locked on and it is easier to comprehend this. OK, that's what they're doing. You know what I mean? Whereas you just listen to this wall of noise coming out of an album. You know, try try playing someone portal for the first time who doesn't really know much <laughs> about metal, you know, Um Whereas at least if you play it live, if they have an open mind to the the creative experience, they could say, okay, there's something going on here. I, you know, I don't know. Um, that that being said, though, Joe, let's let's get into um, uh, I you know before the we started recording, I talked about uh, you know some older stuff that that you did and uh, your newer bands. What's your first experience uh, in a band performing live, writing original music? I think when I was a uh... 14 or so some friends at school were like oh let's make a band and they were into like stuff like arctic monkeys block party kind of like uh early 2000s era like indie music particularly british indie music uh and i was like i was friends with the guys and they needed a bassist i played guitar but my brother bought this really shit p bass and like spray painted it and kind of fixed up the best he could as, you know, he's only like 16 at a time. So I used to play that thing. And then we used to jam at my friend's house, uh, kind of doing covers or like kind of figuring stuff out. And then we ended up doing some shows around Glasgow and the home hometown shows. 
uh it was fun it was like you know it was a second like you know high school band and uh but like as soon as i went to university well i moved to edinburgh which i'm still out here uh and the rest stayed in glasgow well one of us moved to edinburgh as well actually but like at that point we weren't seeing each other regularly and uh and i was kind of like on the full metal train i was like actually i don't want to do this any stuff anymore my heart's not in it i bought a six-string bass because I was really in the Dream Theater and playing that in an indie band did not make any sense. It was like, you know, the beats should be like, the bass should be just laying the foundation going, you know, pumping up root notes and everyone should dance along to it where I was like, I want to play super fucking fast. I want to make some like weird shit. But the guys were like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, just play bass. And I'm like, what if I did a tapping thing here? And they're like, no, that's stupid. So uh, eventually like, we all went our separate ways. And uh so I moved to the capital, which is actually a bit smaller than Glasgow. Uh, like the actual city of Edinburgh is a lot smaller. You can walk about; it's quite nice. But, um, and I kind of stopped doing music. I played guitar and stuff in my bedroom, but I didn't really join any bands. I used to go to shows and stuff, but like, I never had the time or the commitment to join a band. But then, uh, when I graduated, this is twenty fourteen. All my friends' university basically left the city because they were international, and uh, I was like shit i'm still here man uh so actually the guy pedram from a uh, section or frontier uh i was mates with him at the time uh he said oh there's a band in glasgow looking for a bassist it's called the color pink is gay uh and i've seen him before it's like like math like myspace era math core tech you know it's pure it pure tech right uh and um they were like oh, i look for a bassist you should meet them so i did i met simon the guitarist and then I remember going to Glasgow. My mum dropped me off because I didn't drive. And, uh, she dropped me off in this industrial street, industrial estate in Glasgow, Mary Hill. And we had a jam and met the guys. And I was fucking terrified, man, because I've seen them live and like, they're like, you know, it's like a, it's like a hardcore slash technical metal show. So like, they're like spinning around, spin kicking and doing all this mad shit. And I'm like, I don't know, man, <laughs> what am I doing? Uh, and the jam was great. Uh, so for context, George, the drummer and Jay, the vocalist, they're, we continued on to Gendo Okari. So we're, you know, those guys, okay. I'm still jamming with them to this day. But uh, I was playing bass for The Color Pink is Gay and uh, they had a bunch of EPs out and uh, I learned the parts and it was great. I remember distinctively jamming. I stood next to George's ride. Uh, George is a very, he's a powerhouse drummer. He's like, he's shit hot and he can play a lot of shit uh, really well. He's actually played in Party Can a few times and recorded a, He's recorded and played in some of their early stuff. Um, uh, so he can do the death metal, the brutal death metal. He can do jazz, uh, whatever he wants. But I stood next to his right cymbal. And like, this seems like a safe space. And like, I had like the shitty earplugs in. And he started doing blast beats to the right. And he just blew my fucking head. The, the ting from the right was like cut into my brain. I was like, holy shit, this guy's killing me. And uh, it was pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at that point, that was like, oh man, this is way better than like, this is what I want to do. Like I want to do loud and heavy stuff. And uh, yeah, the color pink is gay is really where I cut my teeth with like uh like playing heavy music and kind of understanding kind of like more heavy bands. Okay, so the color pink is gay. Uh technically. <laughs> well, you can call yeah, it TC yeah. Peg if you want to like shorten it. No, like, no, it's no, a stupid name. No, it is a stupid name. <laughs> well, I want to unwrap it a little bit because it's a it's kind of a technical math core band, like you said. It's something I'm 41 years old. It's something that would seem not out of place in like the early 2000s 
when yeah. there was the number 12 looks like you and all and the Dillinger escape and there and not necessarily the Dillinger but like there was all these bands that were kind of veering into this provocative ter- daughters comes to mind provocative terror playing this like mathy technical weird music but it was also kind of weirdly sexual and provocative and stuff so it's like it seems very it, it is it is very out there but it's like I kind of I think I understand the type of scene that something like that originates from and I remember those bands and I have friends that were in bands you know with similar themes I guess we'll say man did you guys ever get into any shit uh with that band name from locals uh venue owners other bands any anything like that Maybe I can't remember. Like I, I didn't know Adam in that band. I just played bass, uh, which was great because it was very um, uh, kept it simple for me. Um, I'm sure the guys have got probably got stories of uh, like people causing a fuss and like asking if, if they're homophobes and stuff like. That. And we are not homophobes. It's just a really stupid name. Uh, I think we also start referring as TC Peg because it's just easier to say that. And also, <laughs> uh, it, we could use it in a conversation outdoor, like in a public context about people going like, what the hell are you talking about? So, uh, yeah, I don't think it came up as an issue. And usually, like, we were good live. We always put on a good show. Like, George, when he was playing Double Kick, he was a a blast machine, and people always loved that. Like, if you couldn't enjoy the music, you can at least watch the technicality and be like, all right, this Mm -hmm. is there's a lot of stuff happening. And uh, it's, uh, I think, to this day, the most... The most frequent, uh, I don't know, compliments or, or feedback I get from gigs is like, they say, that was interesting, which I always <laughs> take as like, well, I guess they got something out of it. They may not have enjoyed it, but they might have found it interesting, which is, uh, I guess, nice. It they just never said your shit, you know. Interesting is better than boring. Um, yeah. Sometimes yeah, totally. you gotta you got to take that, man. All right, so... Um, and then that that band, uh, you know, I would say most or some of the members eventually start. I'm going to try Gendo Ikari. Did I say it right? Ikari? Ikari. Gendo Ikari. Or I'm trying. Yeah, that's it. Gendo Ikari. I think I wrote it down here wrong, too. Gendo Ikari. I'm trying with the, I'm trying with the long... Tell the boys it's my Long Island accent. It's not them. <laughs> um, Gendo Ikari. So I know enough to know that that is the name of a character from a very popular Japanese animation, right? Okay, so I'll be up front. I, I used to like anime, like, you know, in my 20s or earlier... But then I kind of stopped, and I've only seen, I've only seen Evangelion once. So the only reason we call it that band uh, is because George was like, "Do you know who's a badass guy? Bad guy Gendo Okari." And it'd be funny to have two kick drums that look like his glasses, and I played <laughs> like that. And that was pretty much it. We were like, "Cool, that's fine, man," because um, he's a badass character. It'd be funny to do the glasses thing one day. Although nowadays he doesn't even play double kick drums, like. Also, the idea of carrying two double, like two bass kick drums to a venue, and or even like taking out in a car is like an absolute nightmare. So, uh, we've kind of patched that, but we kept the name. And um, I don't really. It's a cool name. Uh, it's just that people think uh, we love anime. So the number of questions we get just in the inbox or just like if you ever get interviews, like how do you relate? the brutality of the character to the anime and i'm like oh fucking hell man i don't want to answer this question because like it's i don't care <laughs> it's just a name so uh yeah <laughs> well that's that's I don't know if that answers your question 
<laughs> yeah, well, no, it, it only just it only opens up the door, man. Don't worry. <laughs> we're gonna go there. Well, you know, here's seriously though, because um, I'm you know I'm spectator familiar with with some anime. I've watched that you know some anime over the years. Uh, like you, I maybe was a little bit more into it in my late teens and early twenties, and then as death metal took over, you know. Um, I, I don't know, but I know that it has done nothing but get more popular and expand more as a medium and as a genre. So like, there's only more and more people that are going to end up being familiar with it's the, uh, event Evangelion, Evangelion, I, people, uh, Evangelion, Evangelion series. I know yeah. that that's a very popular anime series. I, I'm not familiar with it myself, but, um, like on a pedestrian level, I know that that's very popular. So there's only going to be more and more people getting into this stuff and associating your band somehow with it, whether through it's a weird Google search uh, accident or looking or, you know, they're a grindcore fan and their their interests are converging in your band. Um, I find it funny. So, so it's, you know, it's a cool band name. You guys are kind of like familiar with it. But is there any member of the band that is like actively like really into anime and can like field those questions and those fans or, or no? No, not really. I mean, so uh, our, our our current bassist Hamish, like he's seen it and he gets it, but he didn't. He joined the band later, so it was convenient that it was like, oh, he knows about the anime, so I can literally give him every question about anime. And even he's not that like, I don't know. He's like, I don't think he's a huge anime fan, but he, <laughs> he's seen the shows in the movie, so I can give it to him if he wants. But a lot of the time, we're just like. I don't care. I don't even think Jay the vocalist has seen anime. He just <laughs> like his his lyrics and the songs have nothing to do with it. Oh, it's man. just like and there are times when I go like on the internet and I see like oh cool we've been listed somewhere and someone goes like this is a neon genesis evangelion inspired band. I'm like ah oh, fuck's sake man. <laughs> this has nothing to do with us. But it's literally just a short song title. Uh, but I guess it's cool. Uh, you know if people like it then it's fine it's just a name to me but uh, yeah i no no yeah it's no problem dude i mean you, yeah you named your band no one expects you to be a, like an, an expert in another medium because of a, of a reference i i'm laughing too because i i don't talk about it much anymore but i was on, i was in a band for 10 years here in new york um that was science and science fiction uh themed speculative science i should say in science fiction themed um, and also, and coincidentally with, uh, like Gendo Ikari, um, uh, glasses or goggles were part of the concept too. So people might know what I'm talking about, but I, at the time when I fielded interviews and, and talk at shows from people who were interested in the band, I was not really interested in science fiction the way that the band was portrayed. I, I had read a lot of science <laughs> fiction growing up and I, you know, I had a background with science fiction and comic books and stuff. But at that point in my life, I wasn't really reading a lot and stuff. You know, I was, I was reading more like, you know, uh, um, nonfiction and you know whatever else, man. I just wasn't into it. And there were members, <laughs> there were members of the band who had never seen the movie Alien. And I always thought right. that that I always thought that that was a little funny with us, man. There were you know there were just some things. There was a member of the band who professed to not believe in UFOs or aliens. And I <laughs> <laughs> so I just kind of know, I know what you mean, man. It's like and dude, all that's okay. We're just making music and writing lyrics. Like it's like you know when you don't have to. Just because people think that you know you're in, you're an expert in something else or whatever, you don't have to be, man. Um, and I know you guys probably got that, so I was curious if you guys were like real big anime fans or it was just a just a band name that you come up with as as you do sometimes. So moving forward from that, um, sorry, there's one more thing I need to say. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. This is I find this quite frustrating, but um, 
So obviously the, the name is a Japanese name. And actually when I converted the English to Japanese, I misspelled the it should be Gendo with a OU, the U at the end. So it should be kind of elongated, but oh. I didn't add that. So if anyone Japanese looks at it, they'll say that's wrong. I'll be like, oh whatever, I'm not Japanese. But um so original logo was done by a friend in red in English, but then I had another friend, Mitchell, we designed a kind of Japanese, more like kind of a bit more death metal logo, but it's in Japanese, right? And I was like, that's cool. I remember distinctively using that as a, that's not our logo. We played a scene extreme last year and I had that as our name. And someone someone said to me like, you should put the English version. I can't read the Japanese. I was like, dude, look at the, look at the obscene extreme lineup of the band logos. Can you read like <laughs> all these death metal band logos? Like, Good you, point. you're telling me like mine, which looks Asian and Japanese. Oh, okay, you can't read it fair enough, but can you read all the other death metal logos like it's like insane and i i didn't have the energy to like argue back but i was like fair enough man i'll consider the english version that's easier to read but but i turn around and look at all these logos i'm like i can't read any of them i like that i like yeah. that's a, that's a good point that's a good point again i just gotta point out party cannon uh um has a has an advantage on that front too there's the famous party cannon meme with yeah. all the all the unreadable band logos and then theirs in bright, bright colors, man. That's yeah, that's funny, dude. Um, well, then, all right, let me ask you this respectfully. Is there another layer to the we say we say punishers, which are fans and people at shows and supporters of music who put you in awkward places and just want to talk your ear off while you're like sweating and, and, and changing a guitar string or something? Uh, I know how the scene can be. Are there ignorant people who assume that because you are the band member who is of asian descent that somehow they're that you're japanese and that this is your thing or something with the band actually no i've never had that uh quite fortunately um no it's actually been okay no one's okay. ever said all right fair enough all yeah. right so so it's been interesting in a way because like in scotland in particular it's mainly like it's not that multicultural and uh so I can only say there's like maybe I don't think oh there's probably but there's not that many Asian people of descent playing heavy music around Scotland, uh, and I find I and it never occurs to me that's kind of inter uh, a bit odd. The only time I really encountered it was a uh, actually is when I came to New York um, huh. this year. I think I met you. Um, I was going to see the Gridlink show and that guy Andrew Lee from Rip to Shreds was there. Yeah, yeah. And there's Frank from the uh, Vitus who does the filming. Yeah. Frank Huang. Yeah. And we were standing together and I was like, hey, Frank, what other bands do you know of, of like, where there's like someone of like East Asian descent, or Oriental descent? He's like, uh, there's that guy ripped to, ripped to shreds, Andrew Lee. And I'm like, wait, did we get the other guy at this show? Like, surely <laughs> you must have seen, there must be way more bands. He's like, there's probably, but that's the first one that comes to mind. And you, and I thought, damn, man, I'm like, I'm like halfway across the world and, there's still not that many um unless mm. you think of like bands actually from uh, like uh like asia like japan or china like there's loads of obviously japanese bands but whereas like uh people of asian descent in western countries playing in metal bands it's not that many i don't know maybe you've got some more bands that you can think of i'm actually um yeah i'm looking because I, I the band name escapes me at the moment but i got a demo from a band from china earlier this year that had kind of a Finnish death metal vibe. The name escapes me at the moment, but, um, Oh, cool. Yeah. I, there's, you know, I, I see lately, there are also a lot of like cassette editions 
uh, and CD editions of like obscure releases coming out of China on Chinese late. Like it seems like there's a little bit more activity from China in terms of the underground scene than I have noticed uh, make, yeah. making its way my way. I don't know. Um, labels and, and band wise. I know there are a few bands who have performed over. Didn't Cannibal Corpse go to China? If I'm not mistaken. Was it them? Or probably was, they're big enough, I guess. Or uh, like, I know there, there's uh, a there's a few bands that have been over there, so it's yeah, man. But other, you know, you're right. I think I, I think Party Can has played in China, or at least uh, they've done an Asian tour, so they they were they've done Asia before. But but even that isn't your point. We're flipping it. We're yeah, talking. Yeah. We're talking oh, yeah, about sorry, what yeah. you were talking about. Well, I, I flipped it. We're talking about Westerners going to China instead of uh, artists of Asian descent, like you're saying. Ha, let me ask you this then, respectfully. In your in your upbringing, in terms of the metal scene and playing music in Scotland, have you experienced uh, prejudice or, or racism or anti-immigrant sentiment or anything like that? Not really, no. I mean, it's it's quite a small community, or at least people I hang out with. And also, like for context, when I was at school, when I was young, me and my brother were like the only like Chinese descent people in the school right it got it changed a bit when we went to secondary school or high school but um like and i've almost conditioned to be like that's how it is and it's normal and um it's only sometimes when people will make offhand comments i'd be like you know if i was a bit more um not sensitive but if i was a bit more like up for a fight i'd be like oh you can't say that man but you kind of have to get some thick skin about this otherwise you're gonna you're you're in for a hard time at life. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, even a show recently, uh, I said, "Oh, my name's Gerald," and a guy was like, "That's a strong name for a Chinese man." And I was like, "Okay, uh, you know, yeah, you just, you just, I'm not gonna fight them. Like, yeah. I could, but sometimes you just pick your battles and just, uh, uh, you know, which is a shame, but it's a fact of life." It's an ugly side of life. I, you know, coming from Long Island, New York, we have our fair share of that type of sentiment around here. Um, you know, and unfortunately, I think Long Island tends to be maybe known for that or or stereotyped for that kind of racial and, and anti-immigrant sentiment in some in some respects, too, man. It's, you know, it, it's um it's all over, man. But I just fe- I felt since we were going there, I might as well ask you that just to get a more well-rounded picture of your journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Moving it back to music then, man, since we explored so much about the name and the theme and the idea behind Gendo Ikari, I think it would only be right to talk about the actual music. You guys are rooted, like you said, with some of the members coming from The Color Pink is Gay, um, d- despite the colorful band name, which I explained. I th- I do, th- you know, I don't think it's as silly as, as maybe um, it comes off, because I said I feel like it's rooted in that 2000s mathcore scene where being yeah. provocative with your band name and your lyrics was the thing and pushing it to those weird provocative angles was the thing. So that being said, um, I feel like you guys doubled down maybe on the, I want to say experimental, technical, progressive mindset, but maybe compacted it into grindcore. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, so... The long story short, like the color thing is gay, isn't it? Like, we don't function anymore. We're not, uh, we've disbanded actually. Uh, we had an album recorded, but due to reasons, uh, we rushed the hell out of it. And like, it's maybe one day someone will have the time and patience to like, edit it into something that makes sense. But uh, we've recorded a bunch of songs, and then essentially, one of the guitars, Spud, he moved, he was leaving the country, he was moving to Australia, so he was like, I'm done. And now he's he's still doing music. He plays in a band called Munt, 
and Hugh Bastard in Melbourne, and he's still still doing stuff. Uh, and Simon was moving to England, other guitarist, and uh, he's really technical and really into like a kind of like the math core stuff, whereas Spud's more into like kind of like black metal and kind of like metal core stuff and death core. It was an interesting mix. Like Simon was like he plays with like the um again two guitar like he plays with like really mid focused tight guitar play and Spud's more like loose loosey goosey and the, the two together wasn't like didn't quite make sense when you record it live there's like you no know, chaos but the recording that was one of the when you're listening you're like this doesn't really make sense like you guys aren't playing the same thing uh and that was actually something that i remember distinctively those two guys were like oh we need to figure out harmonies so they sat in the room and were figuring out all the parts and me george and jay were standing outside just like man this fucking sucks like we know we know our parts we've got our bits down uh but we need to figure out all the kind of like the melody bits and i was like this is too technical like well not too technical but like they can really do this for us wasting our times in a way if that makes sense like they just need to come up with parts individually while the rest of us are sitting there waiting around doing nothing and uh when the i said like wouldn't it be cool to make like a a grind band that was just like super fast super quick and like almost a zero thought put into it uh they were like, yeah, we should do that. And when those guys left, I pretty much, I said, okay, I'll play guitar because that's actually what I play. And uh, and we knew Chris from Party Cannon and, um, and his other band, Nick Quit Savagery. We're all friends. And Chris was like, oh, can I? he actually asked if he could play bass in part, uh, the Color Things game and if I could move the guitar. I was like, no, let's just let's just make a new band. Uh, so we started Gendo Carry and uh, the first EP was pretty much like, at the time, and I still am like, a huge turning point for me was a uh, listen to Pig Destroyer, Terrifier, Pearl in the Yard, where like it's kind of like technical grind in a way, like it's really complicated, but the riffs are kind of savage and like the production is quite rough. But for me, that was a kind of turning point of like, oh, actually, grindcore isn't just like pure, pure noise, like just like nonsense. Like it, there's a beat and a melody, and like there's like a drive behind it, and that's how I got into more heavier stuff and. The score and access uh, in the label Dreamless was like a big point. So I basically just wanted to rip off all that. Uh, I just have fun of it. Um, but as a consequence of playing in a tech band before, like we could all play our instruments, man. So we'd be like, let's just play a riff. And someone would be like, how about we just change it to five fours? Like, yeah, okay, let's just do that. So we would, and that's kind of the byproduct of like, like I, I guess we could have just made it like really straightforward and kind of almost like the straight grind. But because we want to keep it interesting, we could really flip the table on us and uh i i still listen to unit one at times and go like whoa this is almost like a different we all sound like we're different people because at the time george was playing double kick and he's playing like i don't know how it sounds to you but he's playing very fucking fast it's almost like a machine yeah uh, i i think me and chris did the bass in like a day uh we just took turns uh and actually you know what's kind of interesting because it's like the only record other than the latest one no way, actually, no way. It's the only record where we have a click track in all the Gendo stuff. There's no click track uh, other than Unit 1. because um, And I think George just did it, the drums from his memory, and he drank whiskey while playing it. So like as the tracks get recorded, he's slowly getting more looser. And, uh, yeah, he's just getting more steaming every time. <laughs> but, um, and that was pretty much it. At that point, I was like, oh, I think this is more what I want to do. And uh, it kind of... we. Our friend, uh, there's a band called Endless Swarm, a kind of power violence band. Uh, they're from like 
Edinburgh or like around the area. We're friends of him. We're still good friends to this day. Uh, Graham, the vocalist, used to have a label called uh, Mind Ripper Collective. And he was like, hey man, I'll put up your first EP. And I was like, cool. And for some reason, it got picked up. Like uh, a lot of people really fucking like Unit 1. And we were just like, what's happening? What? We're just like doing this wee side project and it's fun, but like people are really liking it. Um, and uh, when I came out, got a bit of buzz out of it. It was kind of cool. Uh, unfortunately, we're kind of lazy bastards and we don't do that many shows, but uh, it, it was quite a, quite a good start to a new project as well. And like, uh, and also for me, Gendo Akari is like my primary band, if that makes sense. Like I've been there from the start and I do a lot of admin work, but you know, it's necessary. And I, I really feel like that's probably a good representation of like my creative outlet, I guess. All right, fair enough, man. And you just uh, quickly, I just wanted to um, recap that you mentioned Endless Swarm and yep. and, and uh, Iniquitous Savagery, two great bands uh, out of Scotland that people should check out. Scotland maybe not coming up in the conversation uh, as much as New York and Florida and Sweden with the whole. <laughs> it's a <smart> place. <laughs> so I just want to give those bands shout outs, man. Maybe we'll get them on the podcast too one day, man. But yeah, um, uh, just, just uh, with all due respect to the Scottish scene, um and as i mentioned you guys have the new 2023 uh i believe it's independently really, independently released yeah. album roku bungee um that had uh i, I want to get into the recording of that because if i understand right a lot of that was produced in your like home studios yeah so roku bungee was a that's probably like um how to do this Probably the most effort we spent on the recording, like after unit one, which we did like we tracked in like a traditional way, every single other thing was tracked live. We just like got in a room, maybe isolated to the guitars and bass, and the vocals were done afterwards, but all the instrumentation was usually done live. So that's why all of the splits and EPs sound a bit insane, because like we're really just flying off, you know, we're just looking at each other being like, uh, are we in time? I don't know, man. Uh um, whereas Rocky Bungie was like, okay, well, we've got some time, we'll put some money in. So for context, George teaches sound engineering at colleges, so he's got access, like, he know, he does it for a living, he's got access to mics, so he knows what to do. Hamish, the bassist, uh, he's got his own bands, and uh, he's mixed and mastered his own stuff, so he was like, oh, I can do the mixing and mastering if you want to do the recording, George. And uh, So we had all the tools, like, all of us have the, like, tools in the band to like kind of do it ourselves so we're like yeah let's just do it um and we booked the studio for like three days we did all instruments in three days or four days and it was interesting because uh like i don't know for a lot of bands i guess because usually a click track or like there's guide tracks between drums and guitar like guide guitars and the drums will track along with it and then you do guitars or bass and then you do double guitar or the bass and then vocals on top but um, this one uh, you can call me, like, tell me if this is normal, actually. But <laughs> so George, basically, we basically set all the instruments in the room, and we would take turns doing one instead of like all the drums in one go. We just did like one song at a time. So George would do the drums, I would do guitar or bass, or him should do bass. I usually just bass first and guitar. But so it meant that George had a break, so he wasn't just like hammering out songs nonstop. And it was like it was just the three of us, and Jay was like uh, busy at the time, and vocals were going to be done afterwards anyway. But. Uh, we didn't bother guy guitars. He would just play the drums from from his memory. Like he would he would just memorize the song. So we're sitting there. I remember. So Hamish is at the desk, and I'm at the window, like looking into the 
recording room, then Hamish give me a thumbs up, and I turn around and give George a thumbs up, and we start playing this drums on his own, and I'm like, man, these drums are fucking great. Like you can actually hear all the detail because like, you know, there's lots of a ghosting like kind of accents without any instruments. You're like, oh, it's really, it's actually quite textured. Uh, and we're like, cool. I think that sounds like the song, man. And then Tamer start playing bass. He'd be like, wait, this is fucked up. And realize, oh, we've actually cut a beat by accident or added a beat. Yeah. And we're just like, okay, well, we'll just rearrange a song to make that happen. So <laughs> there's lots of bits on the record that you listen to. You're like, oh, that was a bit weird. It's because like, well, I mean, aside from the intentional weirdness, there are times when it's just like, we're just adapting to George's playing. And like, he's really confident and he does play really well so we're like it's fine but if you ever think there are bits in the record we're like what the fuck is happening rhythmically it's like that's pretty much why so that's and the, then i i would quad track so sorry go ahead i was gonna say it's the remix man I, i'll hit you with my take on that but go ahead oh so like george we usually do like one or two takes and we're like that's not fine we play the bass we're like oh that's fucked up let's uh <laughs> let's play that that's okay and the bass would be like one like um uh you don't quad double track it but for guitars, they were like, let's quad track it. So I was like, okay. So I had to do two guitars per size. That's four times. And like, and this band, it's not like I'm playing a... For me, again, Okari is not like about super tight playing. It's more like a... Like there's noise bits where I just improvise a lot of the time, just like whatever. So the idea of playing the same thing four times, like the riffs are fine, but any noisy bits or ambient bits, I'm just like making it up. Uh, it just sounds like, you know, a bit like... A, Mick Barr flying loop backers like four guitars all just like pulverizing you which will it's a bit mad so and then because there's no click track it's just like oh can we do that riff again it's like okay you have to do it from the start because like the tempo is shifting and everything's slightly sliding but uh, and it was exhausting man but uh, so usually it'd be like 10 minutes for drums 10 to 15 minutes for bass and like an hour minimum for guitar so by the end of the session I was like destroyed and those guys were like that was fucking great man we should do it like this more often i'm like maybe not quad track it but uh yeah and that's how the instruments come out sounding a bit insane wow and then jay with the vocals oh sorry go ahead no i was gonna say that makes me want to listen to it more now <laughs> but go go ahead go ahead oh so for the vocals we take a lot we took a bit more time because jay basically had the recorded stuff for a while and just basically actually i find it's interesting because like i find his vocal takes is where he places vocals is very deliberate because he's actually mapped out everything and he he kind of i don't really understand like vocals as an instrument or a texture like there's like you can do straightforward things but he's really thinking of like okay i'll do this i'll double up i'll do highs i'll do mids i'll do lows like screams uh growls and like kind of like shouty vocals and he's got placements of the stuff and to me his vocals are the thing that kind of makes the song feel like a song otherwise it's just like kind of nonsense riffing so i wonder if you got anything interesting about his vocals because like maybe your vocals yourself <laughs> um well i like what you just said about his vocals making a song because there's this kind of chaotic discordant uh noise going and you just added to that um well you fleshed it out a little bit with that story about replacing the the riffs with like a beat here or there because the, the way you recorded it with the drums so i like that the vocals do give it that although it's an angry human a human face to this discordant yeah. robot of noise that's going on um it it grounds it a little bit which sometimes it's not the vocals that ground something it's the drums or you know but the the vocals do have a grounding effect uh that bring it down to earth a little bit and maybe give it a little bit more of that 
hardcore feel, I guess you would say. You know what I mean? As yeah. opposed to like this experimental wild uh, stuff behind it. What I was going, why I was laughing before, is when you said maybe you'll tell me if this is normal to record the drums first like that with no guitars. No, it's not normal. And yes, I've done. <laughs> yes, bands I'm in have done it multiple times. Um, I'm not going to name names, but because <laughs> you'll see why. But there's a there's one band um, that uh, I've recorded albums with where the drummer was uh, my friend, and I love him, but he was sloppy and did not practice and had a very cavalier attitude towards just showing up at the studio without having done a paradiddle at home. Uh, and, you know, first take, we're going to nail it, then it's, then it's party time type of attitude. And inevitably... When we would get through it all, and first of all, the engineer, God bless him, would have to edit in a few things here to fix a few kick hits and a few things like that and whatever. And then the guitarists would get around to recording their parts, and they'd be like, wait, 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 wait. That's that's not right. That's that's <laughs> We got to... And some riffs are more technical than they were designed to be because you have to omit a beat or add an extra two beats or something yep. silly here because of something that the guy improvised when he was going through. So there are a few... Yeah, and... um. And that's all I'll say. I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to call anyone out by name, man. But people, you know, if people, people know, people know, man. You know, um, ask me in person, <laughs> so I know exactly, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about, and it's not the way to do it. <laughs> that's all I'll say. I kind of don't mind it for Gendo Kai because for me, like, well, it, it's not the way kinda... to do it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, just, not to cut you off. It's not the way to do it if you're working with the drummer I was working with. Not all right. All go, right go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Like for me, Ghetto Kai is kind of like it's the band I feel most comfortable in. So like, and like we usually start by jamming by just literally jamming. Like we're just uh, I don't for me metal a lot of metal is like really rigid and like really composed. So like a lot usually it's one person kind of masterminding everything or like kind of I've got the vision and everyone will add, add bits to it. Not saying all bands are like that, but I think a lot of metal in general can be quite like that. Uh, where this band's more like. When Hamish joined the band, basically Chris was like too busy doing brutal death metal and slam with a party cannon and Iquitous. Uh He couldn't like, keep up with. Not that getting okay did much, but we're like, oh, we'd, it'd be nice to have someone like who actually wanted to help, uh, had the time to contribute. And Chris was like, like party cannon was like on this like ascending, like slope of like doing more shows, touring, and we're like, we're lucky if we can get like one show in because <laughs> everyone's busy or like, you know, life's in the way. But uh, yeah. when Hamish joined, and I've known Hamish for a long time, he's a huge fan of noise rock. Uh, not not technical stuff, like more like noise like, as a thing, as a concept, like loud as fuck and kind of like shaking bass. And uh, and George at the time uh, shifted. He was like, I hate double kick. This, this sucks. Like um, he feels like he's playing like 80% of what he can do. And just playing like super fast double kick is like, you take away the rhythm element, it's just like a texture at some point, it's like that kind of thing. Whereas if you if you're forced to play single kick, you have to make it like play really aggressively or come up with interesting beats. And the two of them combined makes the like the kind of low end bass, like Hamish Street's bass, like a doesn't really matter about the notes. It's more like the placement of hits, the percussion, percussive element to it. And with George, the two of them really gel. So it just lots of times if any of the stuff Hamish is on. The guitars are actually just doing 4-4. It's just like just doing something straight. And those guys would be like, oh, it would be funny if we just like jammed a different time signature on top of you. And I'll be like, 
okay, so I'm trying to not listen to it then at all, half the time. And it's quite funny because uh, when we're playing live, they'll just do stuff to like just trip each other on purpose. And I'm like, fuck, I can't listen to them. It's really funny. But I need to count one, two, three over and over again. And, uh, and so this band has this element of like, when I write stuff for the band, I tend to write more like the technical stuff because in the nature of playing. But I, don't, I never write their parts because I'm like, they will always flip the table on me when they were jamming. And then they always come with something more interesting, which I feel like, okay, that's a, I try to keep an open mind about it. And it's quite rare if I go like, no, you should do this. It's like, okay, you're going to do some mad salsa beat on this. Okay, we'll make it work, man. We'll we'll find something interesting out of it. So for, for me, Gendo has always been a bit like, uh, a bit uh, loose, very loose at times, but it's kind of half the fun. And when you hit that comfortable point of the band, it's quite, uh, it's really nice to have. It makes sense now what you said about um, uh, kind of ad-libbing certain little like parts here and there in the studio where the drummer had um, uh, made made his own little remix or something like that. Given what you just said <laughs> about about the way you guys write parts and jam and everything, it's a very loose band. It's an interesting collage you guys make. Um, so I encourage people to check out this uh, 2023 uh, Roku Bungie album. Um, there was also quickly, I, I want to get in time to, to uh, we, uh, you've, you've been very generous with your time and I want to at least have you uh, promote and plug the other projects you're involved in. But quickly, something I found interesting about this Roku Bungie album was you did a limited edition, uh, quote unquote, dub plate that had a different mix of the album on it. Could you explain exactly what, there was only 10 of them and they're sold out on Bandcamp, but I just thought this was interesting at least to talk about and get this part of the story out there because that's not something you see every band do. What was this and what was so special about the mix and um, uh, where does the idea come from? So essentially, George was like, back in the days of like early electronic music and dub, they used to make dub plates. Are you familiar what dub plates are? Sorry. Well, for, I mean, is that like dub music where they would take the the um the, the backing tracks like uh, of you know Jamaican reggae songs and remix them, or am I off base here? Kind of, it's really big in down south in England. So like, uh, dub plates were made from like uh, someone's going to correct me on this, but my understanding is it's really back popular back in the day because it was like cheap uh, acetone plastic. Like like it's not basically they would they were like I think. Um, for these ones, they would take a diamond needle and like engrave the recording onto the dub plate. Mm -hmm. So like it's etched in, but the plastic's kind of like, if you played it enough times, it would wear away and stop being effective. Okay. And it was a cheap way to like get like a electronic music just done to a plate and use it for shows and stuff. And um, it's really big for dub and like uh, electronic music. I think London and Bristol down south in England were quite popular for it. So they're more of a artifact of the time, I guess. And like, I don't think it's as popular because it was it's quite expensive to do and like time consuming. Uh but George's like, oh, it'd be pretty cool to have like a limited edition and like hmm. just do it for fun. So I was like, okay, yeah, well, why not? Uh like whatever, that seems like a fun thing to do. So we had that done, done by a company down in Bristol. But the mix we got for it was uh like obviously we 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 didn't bother remastering it for this dub plate. We were just like, let's just see what happens, because the guy's gonna have to do some work anyway to make it like adapt music to the medium but the first test press we got man it was like like the bass sounded amazing the drum sounded amazing the vocals sounded amazing which are all like elements of like dub music but the guitars like they're so, so much high end and they're like squashed to fuck so uh it felt like every time the kick 
of a snare came in, it's like someone's ducking the guitars out constantly. So it sounds like I've got like a tremolo effect on my guitars. And I'm like, man, I might be, something's wrong here, man. I can't describe what's going on, but it feels like I'm not in the music anymore. But everything else sounds great. Almost like it was like George. like what you like the mix you would want for like bass heavy reggae or hip hop. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I remember giving it to George being like, George, am I tripping? What's happening? He's like, <laughs> Yeah, I think we have to do some stuff to fix it. So he, I think the guy put a high pass filter on it to kind of like stop the high end from like uh, jumping out so much. And he made some other changes. Uh, we had to, we made the track side A, like all one track, so there's no skips. Um, and when we got the 10 presses back, we listened to one of them. And I was like, I hope this sounds better. And it does sound better, but like we noticed when we were listening to it, like uh, I was like, am I out of tune? Like something's wrong here. And uh, George is like, my beats are really fast. So actually, I think it's slightly sped up on the on the dub plates. And like there's some things where you just had to like basically squash it. It's like maybe like putting on a monobus to like not having it so wide. So we listened to it once and I was like, it sounds like us like on speed, really frantic playing through the songs. Cause like it's like almost like panic inducing. Uh so whoever has a dub plate copy, I don't I don't have one, but uh, they've got us they got a funny version of like album because uh it, it sounds cool like it sounds really energetic and live but like uh it's always a different recording like everything's slightly faster and like the sounds are like that sounds great the t- drums and toms sound fantastic but it's quite a it's just a fun thing he wanted to do and george took the liberty of like uh he like made um covers and stuff like spray paint and stuff and that uh, he just wanted to do it as a fun thing so um and i'm really happy that people like we've actually sold them all because i was a bit like Man, I hope not sitting in these dub plates that are like, <laughs> you know, just sitting in my room, just like, ah, you know, I couldn't even sell ten interviews. <laughs> it's it's a it's a cool bit of lore or trivia, I think, and a great story, even if uh, people can't buy one anymore. Um, I, I that's that's interesting, man. It's something I never thought of, and maybe these issues you had with the mix and the possibly speeding up or whatever, maybe that's something that people really, the DJs had to contend with, with this medium back in the day. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, you yeah. know, it's this kind of like, uh, you know, underground medium who, you know, I don't know. Um, that being say, said, Gerald, like I said, you've been very generous with your time and I want to at least cover and promote a little bit. You did perform on the 2023 album Arrowboroughs by Har H double A R. Um, a Scottish, I'm going to say black metal band, though that doesn't really describe it, um, the, the full concept of the band. And it's a band that's been around for at least 10 years, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been playing that band since like 2017, 2018. Uh, good friends of those guys. It's kind of like um, when I was doing the Color Pink Skate and Gendo Kai at Street in Glasgow, and I was live, I live in Edinburgh, so it is like an hour drive just to rehearse and stuff. And um. I kind of wanted, like, I love all the grind stuff and, like, kind of, like, like more of a, uh, I don't want to say silly, but, like, more like the fast, punkier side. But I do, I did want to join, like, a metal band, like, a, and I think for me, like, um, the more, I got more into, like, heavier stuff. Like, basically, uh, I think in 2010 or so, I, I picked up a copy of Desrivnia Psychic Maps, which has Kevin, Huffnego, Carl Marston, yeah. Jeff, Oh crap! What's his surname? I can't remember his surname, but Jeff the drummer, right? Mm-hmm. And I was listening, to be like, "This is totally insane! I don't understand what's happening." And uh, the bit that surprised me was like, uh, when you listen to the first track, uh, "Triangular Stair," I think. No, it's not right. Um, 
festival pop with illusion Colin's playing bass like a guitar it's like super high up and I thought that was a guitar and now that blew my mind kind of like what I felt like with Marty Friedman Megadeth and then I started going through all these guys like um back catalog and uh and I found Kralis mm. uh, I think Dio Tima came out and I was like holy shit this is fucking cool I know Kralis isn't really black metal but like to me that was an entry point of like oh this this like genre of dissonance uh, Jeff Jeff Eber is the drummer of Disrupt ah, Me. Jeff Eber, yeah, I just it, just yeah. just looked it up. Respect him. I just my Afterbirth just performed with those guys, so I had to. Um, I'd I'd be wrong for not giving him his due respect. All right, cool. Um, so like, but yeah, yeah, yeah go. I and, and and I've been listening to a lot of Kralis and trying to catch up with their catalog lately. Um, it's such an interesting crew of musicians. I almost want to do a bonus episode just all about them, but don't let me stop you. Go on. Well. Let's- I could, I could spend more time on this, but like, long story short, uh, I think 2010, 2011, uh, I had, I did, I got a job, like a, a summer job, and it, I thought I was earning no money because it was just an experience thing. Turns out I did earn money, and I was like, fuck, uh, some friends were going to New York and California, and I was like, oh, can I join you for a bit of it? So, but I remember I emailed, I think they deserve me a band camp, and I said, hey, I'm coming to New York on these dates. Are you guys playing in your bands any of these shows? They're like, oh yeah, we're playing um, we're playing Vitus. This is like 2010, like Christmas time, or January 2011. Uh, there's a we're playing with a uh, Reckon Reference, kind of the two piece band with the drummer and the, the guys playing like a mono board. And I remember Kevin was like, oh, I'll just have a guest list coming over, and I was like 20 years old. I was in Brooklyn. Oh, I guess it's in Vitus, Brooklyn, is it? Yes, it's Brooklyn. Yes. So yeah. I was there. Did shows back in the day used to like? Was there a curfew nowadays? Um, even, even still, you know, it depends what time of the week and how their schedule runs, but Vitus sometimes will have, uh, you know, a, a later show or some sort of rave or karaoke thing scheduled for after a show breaks out. Yeah, so there there are different situations where they're, the show has to be over by 10 or 11 or midnight or whatever, yeah. Well, that show was like, I think there's a video played like one o'clock in the morning and I was like, what the fuck? Like, and it was cool. It was awesome. Like, uh, uh, when I went there, I was by myself. So I was a bit like, what am I doing, man? But uh, I got to meet Kevin, Colin, Jeff. Uh, and I was like, oh, I'm a huge fan of your, your work. Uh, they were like, oh, cool. Thanks for coming all the way from Scotland. And uh, when I watched them, I was like, man, this is insane. This is <laughs> like, honestly, to me, I was like, this is what I want to do, like musically as well as all other stuff, but to me that really resonated with me. It's kind of like the the audacity to write like kind of totally wacky parts and everyone's jamming kind of like all everything's totally off the walls and uh, it stuck with me for a long time. Because uh, at the time I wasn't in bands, I was just still at university and I was just like, oh, this is actually really interesting. And then going through the back catalogues at Kralis, I was like, oh, this is like insane. And like, you know, I, I was into like more other black metal stuff, but uh, basically Har was looking for guitars like two of the guitars left the band they had one left I said on social media like hey if you um, looking for another guitars hit me up and they were like yeah do you want to join so I learned some of their tracks it's like 2017 and I that was the first time I joined like a metal band like a metal metal band and, uh, with two guitars kind of st- song structures lots of like kind of melody and a uh, yeah, I've been, we wrote the songs for this album, Uruboros, for like, it's actually finished, like the songwriting was done in 2019 or so, or yeah, yeah, early, late 2019, 
But due to COVID, uh, the recording process got really laboured and uh, it was difficult to put stuff together. And um, basically, the other guys in the band, uh, Gareth, the vocalist, um, uh, we, we kind of said, like, do we still want to do this band? Because, like, the recording process was so long that it kind of killed any momentum. And uh, the other guys all in other bands, like Will, the other guitarist, he plays in a Basha Skiff and he plays with Abyssal and uh, a whole load of other bands. He's got a lot of like stuff in his play, and uh, like, are we are we in a position to give like this band enough like attention it needs? Mm. But, um, so we kind of agreed amicably, like, hey, let's just release this thing, get out of there, and then call it a day. And I'm still proud of the songs. Like, I think there are things of it, but I think due to the fact that we did it kind of remotely and like it took so long that it didn't come about the way. I think it could have been a bit better at times, but like the song material is, I think is decent. And for me, it's also the first time writing like long, uh, long form songs. Like the songs are like anything longer than three minutes. I was like, this is a long song, man. Like, yeah. How do you make, how do you make this shit interesting for so long? Um, but as a consequence, uh, some of us from the band are going to make a new band and push them along in more of a death metal, death metal way. Uh, hopefully get a demo out this year. Uh, I'll send you a link once it's ready. But like, I think it's it's been interesting with her because like to me that was like the most like metal, like quote unquote metal experience because we were playing with like death metal bands, black metal bands of more like the metal genre where like Gendo Carry was more like we did play death metal bands, but like a lot of hardcore, a lot more like um kind of like punk and kind of like bit weirder bands where like horror was like where I thought okay we're we're playing in metal bands and uh. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, also, black metal, uh, as you know, is like filled with like terrible people. So <laughs> I remember going on tour of the guys, and they're like, "Oh, that band's pretty good." Like, you can't listen to them. They're they're like mm. right wing Nazis. Like, oh, come on, man. Uh, so it's interesting the black metal stuff uh, in that regard. <laughs> it's a treacherous what treacherous waters there, but um, yeah, I think like musically is kind of like really interesting because you get to touch bits that. It's not just like polarizing riffs all the time, you know. There are bits that are quite melodic, and uh, you know, it's not all just about like crushing your audience to death with like sick riffs. It's like, oh, here's a texture here, and I find you know that's quite interesting and cool. Yeah, there's there's an interesting spectrum of ideologies um, in the black metal scene that do bleed over into other subgenres at times, but um. Uh, it's an interesting phenomena how, like, in the black metal scene, there's a lot, you know, there's people that say they separate the art from the artist, they listen to whatever, they don't care. There's people that will, like, thoroughly research and do the metal archives connections to make sure that bands they listen to don't have any connections. Um, you know, it's not my duty to tell people what uh, what to listen to or what to say. I would actually, if people have opinions who are listening, heavyholepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from people about it. It's just interesting to hear you bring it up because it is, it's a funny, murky gray area in the metal scene. Um, and it seems to have really come to the forefront the last several years. Uh, whereas yeah. in the, the death metal scene, grindcore tends to, tends to be socially progressive a lot of the time, politically yeah. progressive a lot of the time. Death metal tends to be more fantastic and escapist. Uh, a lot of the time yeah. and you know where whereas that's kind of my territory to be perfectly honest um I'm, i get more and more into science fiction 
the more I pay attention to reality, I, I want to escape. <laughs> um, but but yeah, but that being said, it's just you brought that up, man. I just want to comment on that. And we do want to open that discussion up on the podcast more in the future because it's it's um, as fans of music and art, there's like that weird spectrum between like the esoteric and the uh the supernatural and the you know and like then the, it goes the other end of this it's like straight up nazis you know i like yeah. the, you know it's <laughs> it's like it's you know you, you gotta watch with these bands um but listen that being said is there a name for this new band you're in with members of har yeah uh i keep saying we should set up the band count and all that jazz but it's it uh I, I, oh man it's chlun t-l-o for umlaut n uh, I think it's based on a Louis Bourgeois uh, short story. Like, it's very... Uh, I can send you a link afterwards. It's 16 pages, but it's quite a... I had to Wikipedia half the stuff in the book because I was like... Conceptually, it was like about... Um, I'm going to do a terrible job of this, but it's it's about... Um, people have found these tomes that describe, like, an alien civilization or something, or another planet... But they've like they've got such alien concepts and like ways of understanding things. But they've like perfected or like they're an advanced civilization, and people are like, oh, we should go over there to find out more about that stuff, and like use their concepts to like improve ourselves and Earth. But it turns out that actually these tomes were uh, uh, crafted by like a upper echelon, not upper echelon, like an Illuminati kind of style of people who are like to in order to cultivate the people of Earth will fabricate this reality where people believe that there's a higher being and then through generations we will uh basically cultivate like new ways of thinking through these artificial tomes and that's the big secret that might not be what the book is about it's a hard read that's what a summary was another the other guys in the band gave me and i read it and i thought okay i can sort of understand but uh not that the band's about high high like kind of highbrow thinking but the name is pretty cool that's the planet is chloon and uh that's kind of the gist. And the riffage will have is a bit more like black metal y kinda. Of, but for me, uh I don't know. Have you heard the term scronk come up much? Was that yeah. just kind of genres and <laughs> yeah, yeah, Apparently yeah. a lot of people say like I play very scronk like riffs and so a lot of that's coming up more uh and a bit more like wacky and kinda of, uh not not a silly riff, but a bit more like a bit angular, I guess. I don't know if it's another yeah. term people use. Uh, I kind of lean towards that more than just like straight up uh, blackmail, but I kind of mix of both. Um, I don't know. I, kinda, I quite like riffs, you know. A lot of blackmail is like about textures and like kind of harmonies, but I do love just like straight up just silly riffs and uh, and a bit more of like as times went on, especially with Har, I was like, oh, I think we should do more like just straight up riffs, but uh, it didn't fit Har that well. Where this new band is like, okay, I think we can. Uh, it's a new playing. It's a new. It's a new band, so we can do whatever we want in a way. But uh, yeah, hopefully something out this year. Just a demo, at least. Okay, I'm sorry. Could you just spell the band name for me one time? T L O N. But it always got the two dots, the umlaut above it. Okay, fair enough. So I'm gonna check that out. I encourage the listeners to keep their eyes open. Um, quickly, uh, there's one more thing on on your metal archive. U L R. Is that it? U-I-R? Okay, that's Ur. That's Ur. Hamish, the drummer from Har and Chloon. That's his other band. It's more of a kind of tr trad black metal band. Uh, I only played one show of him last year because I was helping out. 
but someone has added me to their metal archives. <laughs> metal, Ar- uh, metal archives so is I'm, good like that. Metal archives will get you, man. Oh, it's kind of amazing, but they they assume I'm in the band. I just agreed to do one show. I don't mind helping out, but uh, I'm not actually yeah. in the band. I'm just a uh, like those guys are great. That no, but yeah, that's. I, I don't think I'm in the band unless someone is telling me that's how I'm in the band. We that's a metal archives moment here on uh, on Heavy Hole Podcast. We have those, yeah. man. Um, quickly because I do want to get your music recommendations. Um, and not take up too much of your time. You've been very generous, like I said. Uh, there's two things I want to cover. First of all, you were at one point in a band that has since gone on to produce a lot of material. Um, you were in the 2015 self-titled EP by a band named Tiberius, who I went ahead and checked out. I just want to, just for the listeners, while we're talking, while we're, we're bigging up Scottish bands, it's an interesting band. There's clean vocals. It sounds something in the way of maybe like a, a more traditional heavy metal influenced progressive technical band i don't know it it almost makes me want to recommend it to people who are into something like moon tooth i i don't know man it's not my neighborhood of music but it was interesting if you could quickly just tell us a little bit about your experience with that band yeah so that band um it's it's free the three guys uh were there Jahan, chris and grant and they're all like school friends but they they basically you know the band protest the hero yes yeah Especially protest the hero worship, and I think they've kind of ventured more out of that. But they said, "Could you help us out?" Because they've not really done a band before, and I said, "Yeah." I, I also miss playing bass because I, after the Color Pink is gay, I was pretty much just doing guitar stuff, and I miss playing the bass. Another friend of mine, Stuart, uh, played drums, so it was me and him who's done a lot of band stuff, helping out these guys, and yeah, it was it was fun. Like they they kind of like for me, it was just a fun side project. Uh, but they wanted to push it more and more, which is cool. But I realized, like, oh, I'm, I can't, I can't, can't, can't keep stringing you along like this. Uh, it'd be unfair for me to like be in your band and not have my heart in it. Like, it's a fun thing, and if everyone was like the same mentality of doing a fun thing, it'd be fine. But they really wanted to push it, and then basically also other stuff in life. I was said, I'm sorry, but I can't go any further. But I did play in the first EP, and uh, to me. I think I think the next bassist took over, Ryan. He was like, "Your bass parts are total whack," and I was like, "That's fine, man." Like, a, I I don't like playing bass like a bass. Like, I kind of play like a guitar or like, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, I always made the bass parts really silly, and he was just like, "This is stupid." But for me, it was just kind of fun. But uh, I mean, the guys. I think they just finished uh, like a couple of days in Europe, and they were doing really good. But and a fair play to them. But it's uh, I'm glad I did the EP. I'm glad they're doing well. I'll leave it at that. Fair enough, man. I just want to, I think it's worth checking out the EP that you um, played on and maybe just giving the band a shout while we talk about some Scottish bands while I got you here. Um, my my bass player in um, Reeking Aura and Buckshot Facelift, and he's also the bass player of Grace Guys Fallen, is actually a guitarist in real life. He just ends <laughs> up playing, he ends up playing bass in all these bands. He's got projects and bands he plays guitar in as well, but you know, he's, you know, he was originally a guitarist and all that sort of thing and just ended up being the bass player. And I always say in Buckshot Face, if he's the lead bass player, um, <laughs> because he's just coming up with all this crazy stuff that, you know, I, I kind of know what you're getting at with that is all I'm saying. One last thing before we get on to your recommendations and I let you go about your business. Um, I got to say, you know, we talked about um, uh, bands with members of Asian descent before. 
Uh, and I just noticed, uh, speaking of metal archives, you played a guest guitar part on Chapang's 2023 album, Swata. That's Chapang, for people who don't know, is a New York City-based band, um, the members of which uh, have all relocated to New York City from Nepal. So I'm just curious how you know those guys and how that connection and how that guest appearance happened. Hey, I love those guys. Like, Chitez, the main guy, guitarist, Kubinda, uh, Man, all those guys, they they fucking rule. But so and during lockdown, uh Japan basically reached out to Gendo Kai saying, Hey, we're sorting out this festival, the Global Grindcore Alliance online thing. Mm. We're just gonna record a set and we'll stream it. Are you up for it? And I said, Yeah, why not? Um, seems like a fun thing. And through that, basically, I got to meet loads of cool grind bands and basically just like you know, through social media. And um so like you know, Chitez would message me. That man's wired. He he just messaged me like, for me it'd be like six in the morning, but for him it must be like, I guess one in the morning or something like that. He's like, hey bro, are you grinding? And I'd be like, no man, I just woke up. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, and we you know we kept in touch. We still do. Um, but last last year, uh, I came to New York for a vacation. I just came to see. Uh, I think Phil the Hell was playing a double bill, and Japan was playing one of the nights. And I was like, oh shit, I can go see them. Uh, so I flew over. I got to meet the guys. Uh, it was fucking awesome. Uh, there's actually a video of the, the Full of Hell show, or the Japan show, we're doing support. I, I go on stage and start playing guitar for no reason because he was like, Gerald, do you want to play a guest solo live? And I thought, not really. He's like, come on, man, let's do it. So I'm standing in front and he turns around, looks at me, and goes, like, here's a guitar. So I get on stage and just start shredding because I'm like, I don't know what's happening, man. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, we're hanging out and like, it's funny. And uh, he also sent me a copy of the first side from Swata before I went. He was like, do you want to play some shows? Oh, they want to hang out and jam. So I just learned the songs for a year. And I was like, this is totally insane, this music. Um, and we jammed after that Full of Hell show. Uh, and he was like, because the, band, the drummer and Bandit is Gobinda as well. So they were like, oh, Bandit are playing the show with uh, Sulfuric Cottery and PLF. Chapang uh, should play the show too. And they were like, oh, Gerald, do you want to play guitar as well? So I said, uh, why not? I mean, why would I not want to play? It seems like a fun thing to do. So we jammed once. And I was super nervous about jamming. And then we went through the songs. It only took like 20 minutes. And then uh, they were like, cool. All right, we're done. Let's go to dinner. And I thought, dude, I don't know what I'm playing. Like, I'm playing way different from you. He's like, it's cool, bro. Just feel the vibes. So we put the guitars down, unplugged everything, then we had dinner and I was like, okay. So I ended up playing in St. Vitus. So like for me, playing in St. Vitus is really bizarre because like that's a, it's in the US. It's like this this venue that it's got lots of recordings and a lot of people talk about it. So I ended up playing there and it was really fun. But the same lineup ended up playing in Philly as well in this place called Kung Fu Necktie. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's like... That's where you want to be in Philly. I I I don't want to say it's the St. Vitus of of Philly because it has its own reputation, but that's definitely a great underground venue in in Philly. Yeah. So like, I said to Chitez, like, do you want to play Philly? Like, it's the next day. They're like, nah, I don't want to. And then the next day, he's like, we're playing Philly. Let's meet up here. We're going to Philly. So I ended up driving with the guys to Philly, playing there, and I'm just like, oh, this is kind of crazy, man. Like, I I came to, I came to here the U.S on a vacation and now I'm like hanging out, got to see Philadelphia a wee bit. So <laughs> great. Those guys like, you know, show me around, but basically we, we stay in contact. Chitez 
the SWAT album's like insane because the first part is basically side A is all like straight grind songs. The second side is like one long kind of spacey grind song. The third part is basically all about collaborations. So basically he just sent me a random drum beat from someone and said, write a song. So I did. And uh, there's actually a video, like, Chitiz, when you're recording the, one of the bits, or maybe Bandit recording, I can't remember, because if you did it with Colin Marston, uh, there's a video that he sent me where Colin's saying, like, hey, Gerald, are you ready to slam? And starts playing some, like, dumb slam riffs. So I took the sample of that. That's I Colin. That that's that's yeah. definitely Colin I, right there. <laughs> I pitch shift it so it sounds really deep. So if you listen to that one song in the Japan record, it starts with, you know, like really pitch shift vocals, drilled, are you ready to slam? So I started playing a slam riff and uh, the drummer is actually this guy called Christian from a Mexican band called Hong Kong Fuck You. Which is, they have like free bassists and it sounds like punishing. So I basically just wrote that and I forgot about it. And then it cuts to like this year, it comes out, I'm like, oh yeah, this thing, this thing's out. I've got a record of it. And like the people on the record are like, you no, know, there's like Dave Wet, uh, Paolo's on it from a, uh, Maze Matthew Necrosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like the guy from the drummer from Megadeth. And I'm like, what the? This is insane. <laughs> I mean, it's cool as fuck, but it's also like, that's fucking awesome. And uh, yeah, I love the Japan guys. They're they're a bit mad, but uh, they're great shit. I got to get those guys on the podcast. I mean, so many people I got to book, so little time, so many guests, so little time. Uh, and speaking of time, Gerald, I want to be respectful of your time. We've gone longer than the average interview right now, man, but I really appreciate all the stories and information you've given me. If I could ask you just for two last things, uh, you know where we're going to, 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 to end up the interview. I want your older and newer recommendation of pieces of music for myself and the listeners to, to check out. Yeah, so I, I had two in particular. Uh, I don't think it's that old, but to me... I guess it's like what years did it come out? Uh, it's twenty fourteen, so it's not that old. But uh, there's a there's a band, a grind band from Liverpool called Horse Bastard. I don't know if you've heard them before. Horse, ba- I feel the name kind of rings a bell, man. But yeah, refresh my memory. I don't, I don't know they're, about. They're that. from Liverpool. They're like the drummers, uh, the guys have done loads of bands. Uh, but there's a particular recording called Giraffe Math, which is like Giraffe and Math. It's only like 15, 20 minutes, but it is like super fast uh silly grind like um like the drummer has a piccolo snare so the snare is really high up and nice like, vocal, it's, it's like there's no slow it's only fast uh and to me they're like like british grind i'm like yeah i think they're definitely up there because they're they're not straight they're like totally insane like it's really silly and really over the top and i kind of i find nowadays when i listen to music like it's quite easy to fall into patterns of like, oh, this is what it should sound like. And I know Mel's meant to sound quite uh, aggressive and kind of like, kind of like, uh, uh, not off-putting, but like, you know, there's a sense of like, oh, this is really tough and intense. But like, you know, when you listen to Mel so much, it's actually quite, despite all the aesthetic of like really, really being in your face and aggressive, it can sound quite like familiar and then kind of boring in a way. Uh I don't know if that makes sense, but what I'm trying to say is like horse bastard. I totally, everything's totally all over the place, and I love it because it's so chaotic and frantic, and it makes you feel like, all right, this is like, this is where I feel like the next version of extreme music should be, or at least one version of it. And a draft or math is like, it's just fucking great. It's just you only take twenty minutes of it if even, and it's like you're in for a ride, and it's really fun. 
Sounds good. Horse best. If I could remix every single album and demo in my entire collection to just have a piccolo snare instead of whatever snare sound is on there, I would. <laughs> I would. I'm not going to. There's no reason to have any other snare sound. Um, that being said, uh, Horse Bastard, definitely got to check that out. And do you have another one? Yeah, for me, um, Hamish, the bassist from uh, Kendall Carey, really got me into him. But I mean, you might be familiar with the band Extra Life from New York. There's a guy, uh, Charlie Looker. Uh, it's not it's not metal, but it's more like a, it kind of touches that element of like noise rock and avant garde and baroque music, baroque and like a. They released an album last year called Secular Works Volume 2. And there was a surprise drop. I didn't realize. I thought the band was over. They've done a bunch of albums back in like early, late 2010, 2000s, and then I think 2012 or so. It's not it's not heavy like metal stuff. It's like, I guess like rock. Nah, rock isn't really just, I feel like I'm doing it injustice by calling it rock. It's kind of weird. A lot of like, uh, textures and elements but basically we dropped an album last year i think toby driver from ko dot plays drums uh and it's just like really good heavy or not heavy in the sense of like a like metal but like kind of darker sounding cool riffs really weird rhythms if you listen to that kind of stuff it kind of influences a lot of the rhythms again to okari if that makes sense like the kind of angular weird timing it doesn't come from like me like pulling out a calculator or like mapping up random type signatures. A lot of it's like feel based. And like, if you listen to that band, they've got a lot of weird riffs and weird timing. But to me, it feels like, oh, this feels like it makes sense. And that album was like, I listened to it a lot this year and last year. And uh, it may not be like the typical metal kind of uh, thing to listen, but I find myself nowadays like metal, you know, it, it has to be kind of interesting or like really fucking good at what it's doing to capture my ear. Cause a lot of the time metal was like, I don't know if you get this much yourself, but you, the way metal is mixed is so heavy and like kind of, you get a lot of fatigue, like the kick drums, like drilling into your brain <laughs> and like guitars, like chainsaws. You're like, man, I need to like, it's not relax. It's not easy to listen to it. Cause it's just actually just tiring me out. Like I'll put on something like, you know, some classic rock or like jazz where like the mix is not as dense and it's lighter and, if he was a bit like, ah, oh, I can relax. Uh, whereas like metal, I don't listen to metal when I'm doing work because it's like, like, it's uh, quite distracting and really tiring. But at the end of the day, I'm like exhausted because like, all oh, this is like 8,000 blast beats. It's like, all right, I need, I need something a bit more chill. Uh, so like, I try to be selective with my metal these days. I sound like a massive elitist, but I'm not trying not to be. <laughs> no, nah, I, I know what you mean, man. Everybody's got a different music. You know, you have to, as an artist or as a as a bandmate, as a working musician who interacts with people at clubs and with fans and or supporters, whatever you want to say, you can't be an elitist. Well, you can be, but, you, you know, you, you should try not to be an elitist and try to humble yourself to work with people as a music listener. As a collector of music, you can be as much of... That's the fun of it. Why would you not want to be an elitist in your own person? This this collection behind me, I'm a fascist dictator of what goes in that CD collection right there and what I listen <laughs> to. Because it's your own time, dude. It's your own listening pleasure, your own time, your own money, and your own investment. So I'm not going to... You know, if you say I can't listen to death metal while I'm doing my work on the computer, I'm not going to be like, poser, 
You know, like what <laughs> I mean, dude. It's you listen to whatever you, um, whatever you want, whenever you want. That's my own personal rule. Um, so that that being said, though, I do know Extra Life. I know I, I'm uh, uh, well acquainted with Charlie Looker. I used to see him around at shows and at the Sweatshop Rehearsal Studio in Brooklyn uh, a lot years ago. Um, and we would cross paths. I haven't seen him in a few years now, and I was not even aware that there was a newer Extra Life album. So after this interview, I definitely got to check that out. Um, should reach out to him eventually too, man. Really interesting artist, nice guy. Um, uh, always, always enjoyed running into him and catching up with him when I saw him around. Shout out to him, man. So that's um, another guy kind of like uh, uh, adjacent to that that New York City, more artistic uh, black metal scene that we were talking about before, too, man. Um, great recommendations, man. Horse Bastard also I got to check out. I love the name, and I love the way you described the tempo and the snare drum. Um, that being said, Gerald Chow, you've been very generous with your time. I really appreciate uh, you breaking down all the stories um, and behind-the-scenes stuff about your bands and your life uh, leading up to these bands and these releases. I encourage everyone, again, to check out um, Roku Bungie, the new uh, independently released album by Jendo Ikari, uh, wherever they can get it. It's, it's on uh, your usual streaming platforms and Bandcamp where yeah. I got it, right? Um, beyond that, there's also the 2023 album Arrow Burrows by Har, H-A-A-R. Uh, look out for a band with uh, a newer project coming with members of that band, T-L-O-N. Uh, not gonna. No, I'm not gonna play myself in front of Scott, in front of the, the good Scottish people, and try to mispronounce that one, man. Um, and Gerald, uh, any parting words for listeners and supporters of your music and followers of the podcast? Yeah, it's been awesome being on the podcast. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah, if you see me at a show, uh, say hi. It's always cool. <laughs> All the bands I'm in aren't that active in terms of shows, but um, I do play Nash Inspire, which is like I guess the bigger band I'm in. Uh, ended up playing like cool festivals and stuff so you probably see me in that band live more than anything uh but yeah like it's been awesome chatting to you and it's been fun kind of going through the like i don't like i don't i don't know how often you do this but like obviously your band history like you've lived it and gone through it but to kind of like repeat it say it out loud and kind of actually formalize it into words it's been a it's kind of an interesting experience because like i i know how i feel about the band and and stuff like that but to actually explain it to someone is kind of like oh this is a interesting experience so thanks a lot for even asking me to come on the show uh i'm glad you got something out of it man and you saying that i think there's some power to that is that you don't realize um not the same situation obviously but i, I watch a lot of true crime and uh, veterans of different wars relating their stories, a lot of more serious uh, uh, format podcasts and videos and stuff. And the other day somebody said, they, you know, on, on this thing I was watching was, uh, you don't realize everything you've been through or everything you've done until you say it out loud. Sometimes it can seem like you've just lived your life and done it. I played a few shows here. I play a show every once in a while. I do this. I do that. But when you say it all out loud, even the listeners, you might want to just list out your accomplishments sometimes on a piece of paper, man, because it does go a long way to reflecting uh, on your own accomplishments and reflecting on on what you should take take some pride in and some confidence in, in uh, uh, what you've done, man. So I appreciate you putting that out there too, man. And thank you very much for your time, Joe.
right, man. Big shout to Gerald. Um, uh, great talk with him. We appreciate it. Check out all that music that we just discussed. Uh, hopefully, we'll have him back in the future. Ian, still with me over there? Or was, was it NyQuil or DayQuil? What's up? Oh, both. Both same time. Double fist in it. 40 hands, you know? Now nah, I'm here. <laughs> all right, man. Um, you brought in, like I said before, you brought in a recommendation. We got another recommendation. One, we were talking about local shows before. I want to gauge your interest in a show coming up. It's December the 7th at the Paramount here in my hometown of Huntington, New York. Um, Whitechapel. <laughs> waiting, I'm waiting for your... Whitechapel is going to be at Paramount? Yeah, yeah. Whitechapel is the first, the, the, like the... Probably not. They'll probably have some somebody opening opening, but the, you know they're the they're the 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 opening tier of this tour. So this is yeah like, yeah trying to gauge your interest meter right here with the hand going up, man. I'll, I'll let I'll let you know once I have any interest. So that's where we're at right now. If I'm being honest, I I hate to be that guy, but no, that sounds like a Paramount show right now to me. Does that make sense? I don't want to shit on the Paramount or or any bands, but yeah, it is Whitechapel, um, in flames. Oh, okay. I'm big. I'm big uh, Swedish death metal stuff, but more Stockholm. But you can get me on some Gothenburg melodic shit. So I'm I'm interested now. I'm here. Okay. Miss Sugar. Yeah. Okay. All right. I've I, I've seen Miss Sugar. I think a handful of times. Uh, yes, yeah, I've seen them twice. It was magical both times. Um, one time I it was a weirdo show. I saw them at Jones Beach uh, Amphitheater. What was that opening for? I feel like it was opening for System of a Down. And what a fucking bill. That like this is the this is like this is when System of a Down was popping. Like 2000 or 2001 or two, 2002 maybe. Oh, okay. Okay. And I got to go back. Don't quote me on this. It might but mm, I'm pretty sure that's what it might have been. And Meshuga was playing. There was like it was like they were kind of opening and there wasn't a lot of people there and keep in mind this is 2000 so it was before the great Meshuga revival of the 2010s. Um I, Yeah, it was it was a weird time to catch them. I knew there was something going on. But um, speaking of knowing there's something going on, uh, I just want to drop that one, too. My cousin made me aware of that. Shout out to Ra. I gave him the same kind of reaction you did. I was like, Meshuggah, I would go see that in Huntington. And Fl- well, in Flames, I've been very candid about it. I, I am trying to give them um, and at the gates both second chances as a listener. I... I don't want to like, you know, you do you in flames. If anybody ever says that, I'm like, yeah, of course you do you. There's plenty of in flames songs. I listen to that. I'm like, ah, nah, not doing it for me. Never going to happen for me at the gates. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously big on at the gates. And I feel like it was just a, a matter of my come up. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the most accessible metals when I was coming around was like kill switch, which to me, Kill Switch Engage is like, you guys listened to a shit ton of, of At The Gates before you went in and did your metalcore shit that really popped off in like early to mid 2000s. So I don't know. I'm a, I'm a big like At The Gates does it for me as a nostalgia thing. I hear you. And I'm not trying to shit on either band. I'm just saying that when I well, when I was a young when I was like 15, 16, 17, and I had a few peers that were like. 1920, 21 into death metal and some of the guys in Cursed Earth, my first band, who were like 
2021 and you know when i was a teenager like i looked up to these guys at, at that age when you're hanging around people that are in their late teens and early 20s and you're 15 or 16 you know you're obviously um uh you know you maybe might, might be seeking some amount of approval you're definitely influenced by them and the type of death metal i was getting into was definitely what was getting funneled through the older crowd at that point when i was a teenager and that was like adam with dead infection and mortician and gore grind and the cursed, yeah. earth, the cursed earth guys with like dying fetus and um dehumanized and big punisher so like the oh so you're telling me you're telling me the the melodic uh workings of of at the gates weren't doing it for him no i mean that makes honestly that makes perfect sense i think wrong place wrong time for you there honestly <laughs> and, and i you know even back then i was like i was listening to some black metal and so i would listen to certain things that like were not really in fashion with my crew of friends it's not like they had um, carte blanche over my listening habits. But, you know, it was just, that was the kind of school of thought I came from back in the 90s. So, like, I I definitely skipped over those, those two bands because I also remember at that point, I'm a young teenager, when you're like 15 or 16 and you're getting the medals, sometimes like me, you think you know everything. Um, and at the gates and in flames in the late 90s, maybe we're not putting out some of the most revered work in their catalog. That's all I'm going to say. So maybe it's the wrong perspective, too, based on, you know, everything. So that's all I'm going to say about that. But that being said, I definitely am looking forward to going to see In Flames and Meshuggah at the uh, Paramount there in Huntington. I am going to go and catch Whitechapel, I think. I, I you know, to, I'm going to be honest. It's, it's, I'm sorry, and just quickly, it's not my neighborhood of music. People know that. I'm not trying to shit on them. It's not like I actively listen. I don't know any of the lore. I don't know any of the rumors or the hype or whatever, the member. I don't know if... I'm sure there's like a member of that band that's big on social media or something. Like they're a big death crowd. Props to them. They obviously are doing very well without, you know, my dollar. I'm sure they have, they're a very well supported band. I will go and give you guys my objective opinion, you know, on the podcast after that. I'm sorry, Ian, to cut you up. No, not at all. Um, no, I mean, hey, kudos to you that you're like, yeah, no, I'm going to give that to the to the people. You're doing the dirty work, getting in there with your shovel, and you're going to give them a White Chapel review afterwards. So that's respectable. But I, I, I am interested in that show. So maybe, hopefully, I'll uh, hopefully I can see you there. You said it's December, early December. December seventh. Okay. At the Paramount. Yeah, man. I'm getting my. I don't know if my cousin got tickets yet, but we'll get tickets if you want, man. Um, we'll head Sweet. down. We'll that we'll allegedly get some edibles. We'll head down there. It'll be beautiful. Um. Okay. Whitechapel edibles. Um, <laughs> in, flames, in flames. That's where I was going. Swedish death metal. Now, this the variety of Swedish death metal I was very much into from a younger age. Were your dirtier HM2 style bands? I'm talking about obviously entombed and dismember. Like everyone knows. Um. Uh. And 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 also others. And then the second wave where kind of like impaled got into it a little bit. And um, intestine ballism is a great band that kind of emulated some of those tendencies um but we're not here to talk about that today we're here to we're here to segue into uh, a kind of swedish themed recommendation with that i'll let you take it away ian sweet um so what i came with uh the artist is uh putrid yell the album is consuming aberration um this came off of pulverized records out of singapore and it was released april 14th of this year a um, little bit of background about who these guys are in Putrid Yell. It's Chilean death metal. Um, they've actually been around since 2012, um, but this will be their first full-length LP. Um, 
between the years of 2012 and 2018, from what I've tracked down, I think they put out a total of two demos and three, three total splits. Um, and then in 2018, um, they got some personal matters through some curveballs. from what I saw, I think in 2017, their, their lead guitarist at the time, a gentleman named Arturo Fabrez, he passed away. He was 29 at the time. Um, and I believe they were already in the writing process of this LP. I'm not entirely sure from what I was able to look up, but, um, this album actually was fully written and ready to go back in 2018. Um, but they had been delayed with other personal matters from what I was able to see. Um, and then COVID obviously was a huge impact in their ability to put the album out. Um, so they kind of put it on ice. Um, and then it came out this year. Um, other than that, very interested to hear what you have to say. I think our recs go hand, uh, you know, pair well today, which is nice, but, um, you know, I, they're the guitarists that came in, um, to, to fill that lead guitarist role after the passing of their, their former player. Um, he was in a band called soul rot as well. I believe he's also still in soul rot. That was a band I was familiar with. If you're interested in checking them out, they came out with an album in 2017 called nameless hideous manifestations. Um, that's worth a listen. Um, but, um, I, I think the sound of putrid yell within this LP is a lot like soul rot, but with a little bit more urgency and aggression. Um, it's obviously heavily, uh, influenced by Swedish death metal, the HM2 buzzsaw tone is there from the jump. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of a harkens back to dismember entombed late eighties, early nineties, um, Swedish death. But also I feel like there's some thrashier elements to this album. So what it really called out to me was a little bit more of Swedish death from the late nineties. So I heard a lot of repugnant, uh, repugnant, um, the, their album Hecticone, um, which I think came out in the late nineties. I could be wrong about the years there, but I think if I had to pick like, uh, a Swedish death act that is most similar to putrid yell, it'd be them. Um, and, the last thing I'll say before opening it up to your thoughts, Will, is like I'm very biased. I know for a fact that anytime I hear an HM2 pedal in the mix, I'm like, oh, I don't care if they're writing shit. I love this tone. I always know that about myself, at least. And I think that's the first step um, to recovery is understanding where you're at. Um, and the denial of my addiction to HM2 is something that I've overcome. So, um, I actually think that they do a great job of saying creative though. So I don't think it's just the same old shit from a band that's just trying to do some buzzsaw, uh, guitar tones. Um, it, it felt a little bit more genuine than that to me. Um, which like another, I know I've said a few bands here, but what, what one of the bands that came to mind too, they didn't really sound exactly like it. Cause bastard priest to me is a little bit more punk influence than this. Um, but also just really hearkening back to like, like eighties Swedish death and not just being like, and I love gate creeper, but not just being like, we're going to be gate creeper, you know, like we're going to be an HM two style band that is very now very modern. I don't see that in putrid yell, um, which kind of reminded me of what I loved about bastard priest when I found them back in like 2011. Um, but yeah, what, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, not sure if you had had time cause I sent it kind of late. No, no, I did. Um, I did check it out. Um, few, before I forget, a few things. Gate Creeper, another band I learned. A band I went into not knowing much. Um, saw them at the Paramount, allegedly on edibles. Now, I I would say I'm a fan of Gate Creeper. Um, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of them as well, but it took me a little while, actually. But I feel like I understand a little bit more now the intent concept the idea um that's all i'm gonna say but this isn't about gate creeper 
Uh, what you said too about anytime, anytime you see an HM2 pedal, you're kind. I, I'm a bitter old curmudgeon, and I'm quite the polar opposite. If yep. I hear, if I hear HM2, I go, oh fuck, here we go again, man. These somebody else heard entombed. Here we go. We're <laughs> still bringing it back. Still keeping the HM2 company in in business. Did they even use HM2, or is it just a plug-in? Um, I, I, yeah. And then I, I, and then I, I, I send out angry text messages to my bandmates who use HM2 pedals at 2 a.m. in my underwear, um, <laughs> with my cat, uh, drinking coffee by myself about how much I hate H- HM2s. No, I'm just kidding. I. I, I, none of that. Well, that's all completely exaggerated. I like a lot of bands that do this, but it is a little bit of a thing, and it has been for a while now, uh, resurrecting that style. But when you sent me this, I liked it, and I think one of the things that makes it very listenable, even with that in mind, is that it's extremely catchy, and it has a lot of urgency. Maybe that's where you you said it has a little bit of that old-school thrash kind of uh, influence there the the solos are they have that melodic catchiness of um the classic swedish bands but they're not necessarily as drawn out all the time a lot it's very fast paced and it does have a little bit of a crossover thrash type of thing in the feel and like i said the urgency um and some of the uh stripped down nature of the composition and songwriting not that they don't ever get deep um, but it, there's a lot of urgency there and there's a lot of just getting to it, you know, kicking into gear. Um, I really like the vocals. The vocals are bestial. The vocals are monstrous. I like that they, what something I do enjoy with HM2 bands or just bands that play that traditional Swedish style, whether or not they are from uh, Sweden. I know this band is Chilean, like you said, is when they don't necessarily emulate the vocal style of old Dismember and old Entombed. As as great vocals as you have on those old Swedish records, it's fun to hear the Swedish style with more throaty, unpronounced, I guess you could say a little bit more modern style vocals. Um, That is the more brutal vocals. That is always cool, man. I really liked the delivery. And that's all I can say, man. The cover cover art is cool, too. I thought the cover art was great. And I'm going to say this, the cover art, is one of the few album covers that I can still enjoy despite it having the, the Cthulhu tentacle mouth thing on it, the creature. Not that it's not a cool-looking creature, but come on, guys. It's everywhere. Everyone's done it now. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's a lot. You know, shout to Catacomb. You know, I, they, they did it back in the day, but I'm sure somebody did it before. It's, it's a cool image. I know that there's, you know, philosophical meaning and literature behind it for some people and all that. That's cool, but as an album cover, it's... Um, it can be it can be a little uh, uh, predictable. That's all. I'm uh, that. That, I did like the intent on this album cover, though, and I did like this one. That's my whole point. So that's why I'm I'm not going to shit on this one in particular. I'm sorry, Ian. No, no, it's funny that you're going to say that because I feel like if I'm being honest, all like Lovecraft, like uh, all Lovecraft, Lovecraft um, worship within metal to me, it's like the equivalent of like kids that saw Donnie Darko when they're like between the ages of 12 and 14 and they're like yo mom dad this movie's edgy you don't get it like this one's a thinker i I actually really like lovecraft but but i so played out that like it within the world of metal and it's just like that's the only thing that anybody can latch on to when they're looking for for like content to pull from i feel like it is pretty hysterical so i totally hear that yeah it's you know 
it's kind of like our generations, like the Anton LaVey Church of Satanism was big in the 90s in the in the pop cultures, you know, in Marilyn Manson and in certain metal bands and stuff. And, you know, whatever, man, if that's your thing, more power to you. I'm not knocking those people. Um, but um, uh, it's like this, you know, with, with this generation, that seems to be the new thing is people just kind of use using that image real i don't know man I, anyway i don't want to i don't want to spend too much time on that because my whole original point was that i like this album cover despite there being a little reference in there yeah so um yeah but no cool stuff putrid yellow i like the band name i like that there's like what is a putrid yell you know what i mean is it is the throat experiencing putridity and it's a zombie yelling at you I, it's it's a mistake it, it kind of doesn't make sense but it's interesting that oh i like that the concept of it being zombie based i was thinking more like like within the throes of 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 murder you know like like there's a putridness coming out of somebody as they're like as their fucking throats being slit something something along those lines but i like i like the concept of it being zombie based here zombies just going ah <laughs> yeah 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 going at you. oh man all right so let's uh without further ado tom Let's roll some of that beautiful bean footage, buddy. man the baked beans on the mind man i don't know where that came from. <laughs> Richard, yell by way of chile thank you for bringing that one in ian and ian you inspired me to come up with something um a band from sweden back in the day but this demo that i'm going to recommend may not necessarily be the traditional swedish sound uh or one of the traditional swedish death metal sounds you're expecting crypts of kerberos i hope i'm pronouncing that right um uh that's crypt of k-e-r-b-e-r-o-s is a band uh the first of all i was able to share this and find this on uh former guest of the show phil tugas uh phil tugas is uh now phil tugas is his name but phil tugas is like the long island pronunciation and, yeah yeah but, but i'm trying to say phil tugas's youtube channel so i can't pronounce any of that phil tugas former guest of the show his youtube channel um crypt of kerberos demo 91 not only does phil have stuff on there from his uh his own bands um he's still he's still in funibarum i believe first fragment um uh chathelist and uh he's he's in a lot of projects as we know um phil he had not only has footage of himself and his own bands but um some really cool obscure demos and things like that this crypt of kerberos demo from 1991 i'm gonna kind of just paraphrase a few things he says about it um, in the description here, and you can find some other stuff he's posted and kind of documented. Um, he says that Crypt of Cabarrus is his favorite Swedish death metal band alongside Crematory, and for many reasons. Um, he goes on to state that there is a big difference between this demo and what they made later, the the World of Myths album that blends progressive death metal and neoclassical guitar shredding and power metal-influenced passages might be something people want to check out after they check out this demo because this is a lot more, as he says, in the vein of Bolt Thrower, Autopsy, Demolich, Moondark, and Abhorrence. Dark, semi-doomy death metal at its very best. Um, 
Let's see. He also compares it to the Spring of Recovery 7-inch by Adromalek, which I'm prone to agree with. And um, Phil, in general, has a style that I that I he he curates a certain style of death metal, old school European demos, not necessarily European, but old school demos that have a certain sound that I also like. We have something in common, I think, in what we like with these classic demos. Um, uh, it's just sludgy, groovy. The way the guitars are mixed in the, it has, it, it sounds like a cassette tape. It, ha it has this swampy analog atmosphere. Atmosphere is a word I'm going to use heavy here because it's, it's something um uh it, it is an atmosphere it's it's a, it, like like the way the guitars sit with the drums and you can't necessarily hear everything can't hear all the cymbals you know 100% clearly but it's just all there it's bombastic it almost has a similar quality that i love from old school hip hop in the analog format with the bass heavy um uh, when the um when the cymbals get lost a little a little bit and and you know it's just bass and snare oriented so to speak um when when gerald was talking before he was talking about the dub plates and how back in uh england and in, in, in i guess the 70s and 80s they used to make these cheaply manufactured uh records called dub plates that would wear out over time they they got a mix they got a version of their album put on dub plates for a special limited edition and they had to get it remixed because it was mixed for dub plates which resulted in a in a very bass heavy kind of uh drop you know mix like that's that's what he was just saying a little while ago so <laughs> that all comes to mind when i'm trying to describe what i love about this demo and there's a groove in the first song right when they first break in that makes me swear it's a long island band um that's all i'm gonna say i'm gonna leave it there and try to get your opinion on it being no, thank you, Will. I so I as I've said in the past, like Swedish death is something that I'm like really heavily into. Um, I was really happy you showed me this because before even clicking the link, I was like, why does this name ring a bell? And I was able to look through some like CDs that I had burned like years and years ago, and I did see that I had some of the songs from Worlds of Myths or, or Myth of World World of Myth, I think, um, which came out after this. It's and I looked it up after it said it came out in '93. And that was way different than this early like death doom sound that they were doing. That was more like progressive um, death metal. Um, it actually reminded me of a lot of the stuff Dan Swano has done, who was the dude from like Edge of Sanity um, and like Witherscape and Nightingale and all that. Former guest of the show, Dan Swano. Sweet. Yeah. So like that, that world of myths album was one that was familiar to me and I, I enjoyed it. Um, it Getting into this, I was like, "Oh, is it going to be more of the same?" It's it's not that at all. This is Death Doom, but it's beautiful. I it kind of had it kind of felt bluesy to me. You know what I mean? Like there's some of the some of the slow like muddy riffs that he, that they walk you through in this before picking up the pace a bit. Um, definitely in like Sacrifice, just kicking it off that first track too. Um, it it totally felt that way to me at least. Um, and uh, when I was thinking of like, what does this sound like to me? I I read the description after that also noted like, like uh, crematory autopsy, some of the names like that. I was like, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I was thinking like finish death doom too. When I first started some stuff like um, pertinence was a name that came to mind when I first started listening to this, like, Hey, there's a little bit of that there, but, but I think it is a little, a little bit more death than doom. Does that make sense? So I started to veer a little bit, 
further from thinking that there's correlations in that regard but overall i really dug this uh also it was i I love shit that's like this short and sweet what is it like four tracks it was like 18 minutes or so like super snackable and as a parent i don't get a a wealth of time to sit down and listen to like three hours of metal in one sitting so yeah i'll definitely look forward to like spinning this in the future that's what's good about those demos man um yeah, the the demo 1991. There, not not to be confused with promo 1991, but demo 1991 is what we're talking about. I have it on this Crypt of Kerberos demos and EPs CD put out by Dark Symphonies and Dark Descent Records. Um, it's a great CD. It's got a bunch of tracks. It's got their promo 91, which has a few more tracks. Cyclone of Insanity EP, Visions Beyond Darkness EP, and Into the Runes EP. All great stuff. This is an excellent CD, and I do put it on uh when I'm driving around. Sometimes, man, it's got a sick because then people people still believe it's a Long Island band. I can't be driving around bumping anything that's not Long Island. Sometimes, um, <laughs> that's all. Uh, any closing thoughts on this? No, I love it. Beautiful. All right. Tom, we're gonna we're gonna rock out with this crypt of Kerberos nineteen ninety one demo. Thanks, man. man thank you to gerald chow for his time today man we appreciate the interview thank you to you ian i appreciate you man um bringing this uh putrid yell on check out putrid yell from chile uh we hope you feel better man i know part of being a, a parent is like getting a cold and a cough every week somehow you always feel worse before you feel better that's what i've discovered in my first eight and a half years of parenthood so um yeah thank you though i appreciate the the well wishes all right eight and a half years huh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the oldest one's heel. He'll be nine in March. Yep. Yeah, you're in. You're in the. Um, well, anyway, with that one, you're in. You're you're counting down the time. You got the last decade down. And then he's not yours anymore. Eighteen. You know, at the house. One. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Unless he's like me, unless he's doing a podcast in the house until, <laughs> until he's an old man, uh, until he's going bald. Um, <laughs> and in like twenty years, it's gonna be me and your son doing a podcast. Man, you'll have moved on. Oh, I, I love that. I love that for the both of you. Let's get him into death metal. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, uh, so we talked about December 7th, Meshuggah in Flames of Whitechapel. Um, you might you might have to tap me on the shoulder if you say hi to me or something like that. I am going to be on edibles, allegedly. Um, we'll get you a ticket, too, Ian. You can come down. You can be my safety person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, keep you grounded, you know? If you go down to Meshuggah uh, on December seventh at the Paramount, and Big Will is sitting Indian style on on the on the sidewalk outside, and Ian is handing him water and trying to keep a security guard from kicking us out, you you already know what it is, man. All right, holler at me, man. Um, 
I mean, buy me a drink if I make it back in. It's gonna be a fucking mess. <laughs> Masuga, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be walking back in, and then Masuga's gonna do one of those off time riffs, and I'm gonna trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nah, you can't, you can't keep up. Too many polyrhythms, you know. The fuck, man. Oh boy. Uh, besides that, we got Saturday, uh, November the fourth at Amityville Music Hall. We're talking Reeking Aura is gonna be there. I will not be drunk and tripping all over the place. Um, that doesn't happen. That was an AI deep fake that somebody put out there. Reeking Aura. Um, we're playing. We're proud to be bringing animals, killing people out from Brooklyn. Uh, also, Riparian from Pittsburgh is going to be in the building. Adam Rotella will be performing as Liquefied Insides, his noise project. We had a little last week. We announced Anelbert was going to be there, and Burrito Bowl with Jordan Fontana of Immortal Suffering was going to be there. Those two projects uh, have dropped the show. We have beef. Um, there's going to be a diss track. No, they're going to be appearing at other shows. It worked out differently. It's all good. So right now we're going to have uh, reeking aura, animals killing people, repairing by way of Pittsburgh, and liquefied insides. Adam, noise legend Adam Rotella. One more band to be announced, man. Keep your eyes locked on the social media there. Please come out to Amityville Music Hall Saturday, November 4th. That's all ages, under 16 with a guardian. Um, show starts at 6 p.m., Bands at six, the doors at six, bands at 6.30 sharp. We got a 10 p.m. curfew. Everybody's going to be playing early. Get there early. You can get home early and just binge watch Netflix like people do nowadays. Back in the 80s, people used to do weird shit after metal shows. Metal shows used to go to like 3 a.m. and everyone would just smoke dust afterwards, according, (laughs) (laughs) according to some people. Allegedly, according to some of my older friends, allegedly. All right. Then uh, that maybe that's enough for me, man. Um, (laughs) <laughs> no, I like that. That's like a nice little uh, fucking like grim fairy tale to tell the the young the wee ones that will be at the show. You know, dude, that, like that first gen, that eighties to nineties generation, they were they were not going home and watching two hours of Breaking Bad and and Grubhubbing Taco Bell and calling it a night. Um, no, they they were Breaking Bad. They were out living the show. Not that I do that, but other people. You know what I do after after I perform a show, I come home. Um, I drink enough to have alcohol poisoning by myself, but I'm still like conscious. Like I drink that much. I'm like standing there like completely focused and conscious with a microphone in my hand, um, staring at the calendar at the, for the, like waiting for the next show, like until, until I'm ready to go to sleep that night. That's pretty much my post show ritual, man. There's no. Like, as soon as I get off stage, I'm just thinking, like, all right, I got to get home and stare at the calendar for the next show. I absolutely love that. But anyway, Ian, man, it's been real, brother. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. I've enjoyed our conversation uh, about Huntington and chickens uh, through the 3-6 Mafia and the great Willie Steele. Uh, I hope he's still down. I don't know. Huntington Bay Music, I think, is a different store now. But anyway, man, thank you to Gerald Chow for our conversation this evening, man. Much appreciation to him. Check out all the music we discussed and the recommendos. Ian, any parting thoughts for listeners of the Heavy Hole Podcast? Thank you so much for, for coming on tonight. No, always a pleasure. I'll catch you at the White Chapel, sir. Yeah, I'll catch you. I might even not even recognize you by the time I get there, dude. It's going to get weird. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna wear a bright. I'm gonna wear. I'm gonna wear. I'm gonna wear the the reeking aura bright green shirt just in case I get lost and you guys need to find me because I don't stick out in the crowd enough. Heavy hole podcast, man. Uh, in, in the words of another big dumb fat guy, it's another one. <laughs> <laughs>